Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Greetings from the Gulf Coast of Florida. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty nice out there. It's a little humid, uh, which is fine. And a lot of times it's a lot humid. <laughs> right now it's just a little humid. Uh, and it looks fairly moderate today, about 80s. Uh, probably rain sometime. Um, that's the pattern. And so the pattern is rain pretty much every day. <laughs> you know, it's like the tropics. You know, somewhere around three or four it rains. Although today it looks like it's going to rain early. Uh, and the afternoon looks pretty good. So uh, maybe I'll get a bike ride in, maybe not. I don't know. It depends. We'll see what's going on. Uh, speaking of bike rides, the first announcement I have, is that there's a big meeting next Thursday here in Milton, Florida, uh, at the city council. In fact, it looks like they actually have two meetings now. So the first meeting around 1030, um, this will be City Hall, the usual place, I, I'm sure. Um, I've got a post on uh, my new group, the, the Action Radio Milton Renaissance uh, group page. And we're trying to get some really interesting leaders together and visionaries together and uh, some, uh, maybe some city council folks, too. And let's see what we can do. Uh, it should be interesting to, uh, uh, to get some more people in there and uh, really, you know, present a, a decent plan. But the two things they've got uh, on, which is really good, actually, uh, they've got a meeting in the morning uh, for bike trails, pass, you know, open space, things like that. Uh, and the meeting in the evening is hopefully to get rid of once and for all the four lane, but different alternatives for traffic. And of course, the biggest alternative I have is just simply make the lights green, you know, during the most crowded time of the day. And so people can go around and like, oh, no, we've changed the routing. Yeah, well, basically, yeah. Uh, so you make a right turn only in one place where a left turn causes delays. Uh, you take all the traffic lights, especially at the bridge here in Milton, and for the next, you just take three traffic lights and make them green for 45 minutes. That's it. You know, people can go around. They can, they can still cross over. They can go on side streets. They can make right turns. They can cross over, make a left turn. They can make a U-turn. They can do all kinds of different things. But basically, if the lights are green, uh, that'll take care of the traffic for 45 minutes, and you don't have to expand uh, the lanes. And so this is a perennial battle between people who don't live here who want a four-lane expressway and people who do live here who do not. So as far as I'm concerned, the people who do live here, and that would include me, uh, there should be no uh, four-lane because it's our town. Screw you all those folks you know, that, uh, that, that simply want to uh, destroy our city uh, so they can drive through faster. Uh, that's, that's ridiculous. So, so they are so selfish that their few minutes of convenience uh, is worth more than the entire city of Milton downtown, downtown historic district. And it's not just our town. This goes for towns all over the country. Uh, it, it, you, know, you look at Europe, and they have a lot of historic towns, too, but they preserve them. They're still walkable. You know, Heidelberg, a great example. I love Heidelberg. What a gorgeous town. Big castle in the middle of it, you know, and uh, it's quite walkable. A lot of European cities are walkable. A lot of American cities are walkable. They, they've done the same thing. The most successful cities, like Boston, uh, in terms of tourism, keep the streets walkable, have lots of businesses, you know, have bike trails, uh, make it accessible. What they don't have are expressways through their town. Anytime you have an express for the town, the town dies because towns are dependent on, on foot traffic, on people walking to stores and restaurants and going to them. And if you take all that away, you know, you lose. See, see Milton, Milton's got this gorgeous uh, natural environment. We've got a river that runs right through the town. So that's beautiful. So you can build things all along the river. Not condos, you know, um, Italian restaurants, uh, boating places, you know, uh, seaside little carts, food truck, you know, areas. There's a street that would be great for food trucks. Um, you know, we could have all kinds of different restaurants and shops and things there. And so you can walk across the river. The other side should be recreation. They should have boat, water ski, you know, boat rentals. Who knows what they could have? Uh, but there's a bunch of stuff they could have here. 
and, and up and down the river. And so, of course, we have on, on our side of the river where the town is, we've got the Imogene Theater, this beautiful old theater from 1912 that you know, has national, national acts. Well, that's a draw. The restaurants are a draw. Uh, the old courthouse hopefully is either going to get uh, torn down and rebuilt or renovated inside, and it's going to become a huge marketplace, you know, like Pipe Place or Boston Market or uh, you know, it, it, here it could be like the San Antonio Riverway, but we actually have a river. I mean, a real one, not that little, you know, whatever that fake thing is. You know, they have strolling through their river walk, but it's still pretty. Uh, and San Francisco with the uh, the ferry building system, uh, so farmers markets, food trucks. We have live concerts. We got free, we got free concerts. You know, uh, eight weeks out of the year, eight Fridays out of the year. Four, no, excuse me, it'll be sixteen Fridays. Uh, eight in the spring, eight in the fall. And so uh, the, the place here has all the potential in the world. It just needs some visionaries to kind of get it going. So those two meetings. So my goal is to bring Charles Marin, 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 M A H R O N of Strong Sounds, here to. Uh, uh, share to the show. Actually, he can just call in. Uh, hopefully, it'd be nice if he was here, you know, in person. That'd be even better uh, to go to the city council meeting. Uh, I'll ask him about that. I'll see what I can do. He was on the show before. Uh, there's a video that he made that's on uh, my Facebook uh, Action Radio uh, video project. Uh, it's only about four minutes long, but talking about how it's stupid to sacrifice a town uh, for a roadway to make a four-lane road. It's only crowded, you know, 45 minutes a day. Uh, that's just insane, and not even used the rest of the time hardly at all. And so that's the problem we have here. So that 45 minutes when it's crowded in the afternoon, they should either turn the lights green or, better still, use uh, you know, Interstate 10. We've got a huge super highway, six-lane highway, that uh, is available for use, and it doesn't take very long. Yeah, it takes a little longer than driving through Milton with no traffic, but it takes a lot less time than driving through Milton with traffic. And like I say, I, I talk about my little town here because there's so many towns across the country that have that same dilemma. You've got rivers. You've got beautiful scenery. You know, they want to expand your uh, freeway through so the people on either side can get either side faster and they can drive through your town and uh, that ends up destroying your town. So it's not just me and it's not just Milton. You know, Pensacola faced this. They have a beautiful walking street called Palafox Street. Two lanes, <laughs> you know, uh, you walk it and it's uh, the most vibrant part of the city by far. You know, it leads to a big park at the other side across, I think, Garden Street, where they have a huge farmer's market. You know, so you've got this weekend farmer's market. You've got this walkable street on the other side. So after the farmer's market, y'all can uh, do wine tasting, whiskey tasting, you know, cigar smoking, and whatever else they have for stores there. So it really is a good deal. Anyway, I'm going to try and get Charles Marin here, and we'll see if he can come to, uh, or at least come on the show. And that message, you know, that when he's on, that will be, you know, the message I will send to the city council and say, hey, we talked about this for an hour. Here's what I think. And we'll see what happens. Uh, also, the other groups, and I'll, I'll invite people to, to call in and ask questions uh, if they want to. And uh, that would be a great thing to have happen as well. All right. So let's get on the main topic for today. I've got uh, Derek Park joining us at the bottom of the, uh, of the hour with financial report. And the only other, um, there's nothing else scheduled. The uh, cowgirl Candace is kind of finishing up her horse riding for the season. And I think she'll be with us a lot more in the summertime because it's too hot to ride the horses. And so we'll hear all about uh, her journeys and travels. We were, she was on last week. I know she missed last week. It was the week before. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of our folks are busy. You know, the reason I, the reason that I, uh, the, the, a lot of my reporters take time off is because they're the most interesting people around here and they do interesting things. And there are times when that's not here. <laughs> it's hard to imagine. I know. I mean, to me, this is my most interesting thing, doing an international radio show uh, with the world's only citizen legislature. Uh, so anyway, let me give you a little update on, on, uh, on that, of what's not in the news. I mean, we usually talk about what is in the news. I'll tell you what's not in the news. Uh, vaccine product liability legislation is not in the news, even though we wrote it over two years ago and preceded every uh, uh, vaccine mandate. And we probably get ahead of those off. But that is not in the news. Um, our bill to end big tech censorship is not in the news. 
and that was written that the two-year anniversary of that one's coming up. So I'll be uh, I'll be broadcasting uh, that. We'll do our, another two-year anniversary show of that. Big tech, uh, you know, is not in the news. What's not in the news is the the national trial lawyers uh, have adopted these two bills and are are uh, you know putting together multi-million lobbying. Uh, multi-million dollar lobbying efforts to get them both passed because it represents multi-billion dollar legal settlements for them. So the national trial lawyers is not, you know, maybe it should be the first time I do the, the, what's not in the news. <laughs> you, know, you know, and now not the news. <laughs> yeah, let, me, <laughs> let me make something up here. Let's have a little bit of fun. Let me use my, my, uh, my guest of the day and introduce a new feature on Action Radio. This might be kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> it's Friday. You know, I can do what I want here. This is the beauty of this. You know, it's like uh, I got a microphone. I'm not afraid to use it. And now, what's not in the news? What's not in the news for this Friday is vaccine product liability legislation. Nobody seems to care. No one is sharing the bills. All the folks that could write about it, that know about it, haven't written about it yet. There's no coverage. There's no uh, anything. There's no analysis. There's no in-depth discussion. There's no talk show host. There's no talks talk shows in general. There's nobody in Congress. Nobody has sponsored vaccine product liability legislation. That is not in the news. What else is not in the news? <laughs> there we go. So and now, and now our theme, what's not in the news? So what's not, again, big tech uh, liability legislation. That's not in the news. And that bill's very simple. You know, if big tech touches your account, uh, touches uh, search engine results and, or, or touches uh, anything you post, then they lose their immunity from uh, liability. And so you can sue their asses. That's not in the news. What else is not in the news? Well, let me see. The, uh, the, the debt ceiling. Uh, is about to be reached again, which is impossible because if it were a real ceiling, they would say, no, you can't spend that money. See, that's the problem. There's no, there's no law in Congress that says you cannot spend above the debt ceiling. So they do. So the debt ceiling is meaningless. To them, it's just like, a, uh, it's not even a hurdle. It's like a formality. <laughs> they don't care, right? So another thing that's not in the news is our constitutional amendment to um, take away all the power of Congress to borrow money. That is not in the news. And it should be because that would solve the, the debt crisis forever because no more borrowing. Uh, the debt will gradually be paid off in about 40 years. It'll be gone and it would never be a problem again as long as that amendment stood. So that's not in the news. So there's a lot of stuff in the news. I'll tell you what else is not in the news. All the failings of the Republican Party uh, during the, uh, the hearing yesterday is not in the news. So we're going to talk about it here because that's what we do. We talk about all the things that aren't in the news. Uh, that's special. Action Radio, what's not in the news? So I might, I might do that feature more often. And now, what's not in the news? <laughs> I'm, I'm having fun. All right, so, so the hearing was on yesterday. And what happened at the hearing? Well, you had, uh, you had Democrats whose job was to sabotage the hearing because it was on FBI whistleblowers. And since the Democrat Party owns the FBI, the Democrat Party controls the FBI, uh, the Democrat Party is the FBI, uh, that's, their, that's their police force. That's their militant arm. That's their, that's their KKK. So the FBI is the modern KKK of the Democrat Party, except as part of government as opposed to being an adjunct you know, um, uh, operations group. <laughs> you know, much like Antifa and Black Lives Matter are today, are basically operational groups, terrorist groups of the Democrat Party. The, um, the FBI is now the new KKK uh, of the government. And so that's what they do. They, they basically do lynchings of various kinds, uh, either actual, figurative, or arresting lynchings. You know, they, whatever they do, they're doing it uh, completely illegally. So uh, one of the things that happened, it was fascinating. The, uh, well, I'll, I'll go through this systematically. But the, the Republicans, you know, they should have challenged every time the Democrats did that. In fact, I would have turned off their microphones. You know, and, and Democrats scream, well, you're not following policy, you're not following rules. Um, does anybody remember the Democrat hearings? 
you know, when you couldn't ask who the whistleblower was, Eric Cheramella, Eric Cheramella, Eric Cheramella, you couldn't talk about him, right? But the first thing that if I were in Congress, the very first thing I would have done, if I was on a committee where they said you couldn't talk about the whistleblower, I said, who? Eric Eric Cheramella? Is that the person we're not supposed to talk about? So so why can't we talk about Eric Cheramella? I mean, I would have said it right out there. Well, you're censored. You can't mention that. But you're telling a member of Congress I can't mention something? Who the hell are you? You know, shut up. (laughs) Go away. I would have said more, but uh, I still have uh, maintained my decorum on the radio show. But, yeah, they can't tell a member of Congress what not to say. <laughs> Please. That's the whole point of having, having a Congress is that they represent the people, which means they say the things that maybe other members of Congress don't want them to say. Ask if I give a crap. I don't. <laughs> I would have said it anyway. You know, and so the first thing I would have said to the Democrats is you're the people you know, uh, responsible for all this problem. You're the ones who stole the election. See, that never came up. It never came up. And this is one of the biggest failings of the Republican Party is that they don't bring up daily the fact that the election was stolen. So you've got a stolen election, you've got an illegal administration, you've got uh, an FBI supporting an illegal administration, operating illegally themselves. The whole thing is completely corrupt. So the way to solve the FBI problem is to get Brandon out of office, arrest their asses, throw them all in jail, uh, and either completely dismember the FBI or restructure it where it's investigation only. You know, things like... uh, uh, FBI fingerprints, uh, DNA samples, um, you know, catalog information, that kind of stuff, serial killer profile, that. I, I could live with that. If all the FBI did was actually investigation and, and that's it, that's safe. But the enforcement, get rid of it. Disarm them. Or send them all over to ICE. That's my other plan. And then disarm them. <laughs> so, so once the illegals are gone, then we'll disarm the feds. But in the meantime, we'll keep them armed so they can go after the illegal aliens and kick them the hell out of here. All right. So the first, that's the first failing. The first failing is not addressing uh, the Democrats, uh, the fact that they, they own the FBI. So I'm just going to read uh, my Facebook tweets here and kind of go through them. That'll be a little more systematic. So anyway, yeah, if Jim Jordan, Jim Jordan was, was battling with them. He, he actually had votes on things. See, he never should have taken votes on stuff with the Democrats. He said, look, you're here to sabotage the hearing. That's not, what, that's not the reason why you want this motion. You know, I said, no. It's just a no, motion denied. I, said, I mean, the Democrats did that. Adam Schiff denied everything. Motion denied. You know, the people that brought you the fake Russian collusion, the fake uh, uh, election, they brought you the fake everything, you know, and they want, and they want the rules followed. It's like, well, you know, Jordan said, here's another failing of Jordan's. What he should have said was, I'm just going by the rules you guys established, which is whoever has the majority is, is, dictates the rules. That's it. That's how it goes. You did it. Now we're doing it. That's what he should have said. And they can't, you know, they would have screamed and yelled, that's not fair. That's not this. So fair has nothing to do with it. I said, if you want better treatment, then give us better treatment next time you're the majority. Uh, until then, shut the hell up. That's what he should have said. But he didn't because he wants to be fair. He wants to be nice. And here's the part that gets me, too. The, the folks that were there, uh, Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, and some of the other people, represent some of the best of the Republican Party, the Freedom Fighters, the America Firsters. And they still whipped out. I mean, they, were, they asked you know, uh, questions we all knew the answer to, and they, they put forth some pretty good stuff, but they really didn't go after the jugular. They really didn't go after the Democrats, and they really didn't go after the FBI the way they should have. Uh, they should have protected these whistleblowers uh, in ways that, uh, that they didn't. And so, uh, yeah, they should have called nat- you know, national heroes, given the congressional awards. Uh, and and uh, what I would have said was, who's your boss? <laughs> you know, who ordered your, your, the retaliation against you? And that's the most important question they never asked. Who ordered the retaliation against you? Who signed the order? Or who signed off on that, I guess is how they, they, they phrase it. So let me go through my one, two, three, four, five, six Facebook tweets. And see if I can make some sense of this before Derek gets here. So the first comment I made, 
yesterday, um, either after or during the hearings, I said, Representative Jordan should have said, may I remind the Dems, the Democrats, that you can't be trusted with whistleblower information because your party controls the FBI. That's kind of what I said already, but here's what happened. The, um, one of the biggest uh, uh, ways to destroy the hearing was when the Democrats said, well, we don't have the whistleblower information. And Jordan said, well, they didn't want to give it to you. Well, that's not fair. You know, rule this, rule that says everything has to be shared with the minority. To which Representative Jordan should have said, well, like I said before, you know, you own the FBI. You are uh, the FBI. Uh, the FBI is persecuting these people. You can't be trusted with the information. And I would have asked the, the whistleblowers very, uh, you know, plainly and straight out, do you trust the Democrats with the information that you supplied to us? And they would have said no. I would have asked them, do you think it's possible that if you give the Democrats the information, it will get to your bosses and they shall retaliate further or against you? And they would have said yes. I would have, said, I would have asked the, uh, the whistleblower folks, I said, do you think that uh, the Democrats uh, can be trusted to not give all of your, your sensitive classified information immediately to the New York Times so they can broadcast it everywhere? And they would have said, no, I'm sure of course they're going to do that. So that's what he could have said, but he didn't. All right. And so hopefully they will, they will listen to this podcast uh, and heed my advice. And the next time the Democrats are up there saying, we have to share information, simply say, you cannot be trusted. And you maintain secret information. You maintain for, for two years when you knew the Russia hoax was, was a hoax that it was real. And so you lied. You people openly lie. You, you can't be trusted. You lie. You're supporting a fraudulent administration that you know was stolen. Because every Democrat knows that uh, the, the election was stolen for Joe Biden because they know he could never have beaten Donald Trump. Why do you think they work so hard to steal it? I mean, that's the evidence right there. The, the evidence is that they know Joe Biden could not beat Donald Trump. So the only way to have him in the White House was to steal the election. That's how I know they know. It's pretty simple. They did it. All right. Second point I made is I wish I could write the questions for the GOP in hearings. First one, FBI whistleblowers. Can you guarantee that no FBI people were at the Capitol on January 6th? Okay. So they wouldn't ask, the, the, that question didn't come up either. I mean, every time January 6th was uttered, it was uttered by the Democrats who said it was a violent insurrection and that Trump was there to overthrow the government. In fact, one of the people said that the demonstrators, the, the, the insurrectionists, the Trump supporters, were even there to hang Mike Pence. Really? Hang Mike Pence? That was staggering uh, because the Republicans never reacted to that. I would have said, oh, really? And what is your evidence for this? I said, uh, do you mean to tell me the people that walked in with selfies who were pushed into the Capitol by the Capitol Hill police through open doors that could easily have been locked and would have kept everybody out? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, you opened up the place. Uh, and, and said that uh, they were there to hang my pence. And, and what, what basis is this preposterous uh, uh, piece of evidence? When they took uh, Chesley, what's his name, the, the guy with the horns, right, the Viking guy? When, they esc- when the Capitol Hill police escorted him through the Capitol and said, please come here, please come here, please go here. And it's all on security camera, which they didn't want to release either. So they didn't want to release all the security footage, but now it's out. So we all know that the Capitol Hill police, you know, brought in the, uh, uh, the Trump supporters. In fact, in some cases, pushed him in. But basically, it's like the price of right. Come on down. Come on down, everybody. Come on down and visit your capital. It was like a, like a, a Memorial Day car, used car sale. Come on down, everybody. Come on down to the Capitol. We're going to show you a good time here. We're going to let you in. We're going to let you take pictures of your favorite statues in the, hall of, in the hall of the Capitol building. Come see the Congress. Come see the House of Representatives. Come see the Senate. The Senate chambers are right there. Nobody's there. They're all downstairs because they think you're an insurrection. But come on down, and we'll let you uh, do all kinds of stuff, and then we're going to arrest your asses and put you in jail as political prisoners. That's how this works. And that's exactly what happened, right? That's what happened. So they came in, they walked in, and thought, oh, this is kind of cool. And they're walking around, milling around, and, uh, you know, they're just, just taking pictures. They're staying within the ropes. You know, some insurrection, right? They're staying within the ropes. So who are the violent people? Well, the violent people, as we all know, is Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and the FBI uh, mercenary operatives. 
Those are the ones who broke the windows and caused the destruction because they had to stop the count. And we've been over this a bunch of times. I'm not going to go over it again in detail. But the count, the actual electoral count had to be stopped and that the Brandon electors had to be pushed over the Trump electors, which the state legislatures in seven states put forward. So the whole purpose of January 6th was to stop the count so that the Trump electors were never considered. And the only way they knew they could do that uh, was to have a, a fake um, insurrection, as they called it. But they brought all the Trump supporters upstairs. The Congress met downstairs and where their arms were twisted. And they said, you better vote for Brandon. And that's just the way it is. And they were given the word. And that's what I think happened. Right? All right. So, uh, but the thing is that the, the, getting back to my first point, when the Democrats say, we have to share information with us. And of course, the answer is no, we don't have to share information with you. You're a bunch of miserable traders who would give the information away. You cannot be trusted with classified, sensitive information on whistleblowing. The next point they made, which is even funnier, is that uh, they said, well, they're not really whistleblowers. You know, the, the, when they said the journalists aren't really journalists, you know, at which point I would have said, well, you're not really representing the people either. You're not really a member of Congress. You're just kind of a, an operative for the deep state. That's what I would have said. But they said these aren't whistleblowers. You know, the law doesn't say they're whistleblowers. And, of course, Jordan said the law does say they're whistleblowers. Just because you don't say, call them whistleblowers doesn't mean they aren't. Just because you can't accept reality doesn't mean it changes the reality. Um, but, the, but the simple fact is, uh, one of them was, uh, what's her name, Wasserman Schultz, said that the F, you know, she said their own agency doesn't consider them whistleblowers, to which I would have responded, of course their agency doesn't consider them whistleblowers. No agency considers people who go against them as whistleblowers because they know the whistleblowers have the protection of the whistleblower law. But if they don't designate them as whistleblowers, they don't get that protection. They can be retaliated against. They can lose their job. They can be denied any other job. They can have their stuff stolen, money confiscated, their pay uh, taken, their pensions taken, and everything else. They can have complete retaliation you know, for non-whistleblowers. So they say, okay, you're not really a whistleblower, so we can do this. No, you can't. But they don't do that. They didn't do that. They didn't say that it's not up to the FBI to determine if these people are whistleblowers or not. You know, giving sensitive, giving information of corruption within the FBI. The whistleblower law is the only way people can give uh, uh, information of corrupt government agencies without getting persecuted, prosecuted, or, or retaliated against. So the fact that these people were retaliated against means the whistleblower law didn't work. <laughs> you know. Uh, anyway, so we've got. Uh, oh, Marco's back. Marco's back from the Netherlands. So uh, if you missed the show, catch the beginning. I, I'm kind of on a roll here. Um, so that's so the the you know you don't go to the agency to ask if they're if they're if the people that are that are calling them corrupt are whistleblowers because they always would say no. So that's a stupid question. That's a, but they didn't call them on that. My own congressman didn't call them on that. I mean, he asked some good questions, as did Jim Jordan, some of the other folks. The Republicans asked some decent questions, but they didn't ask the main questions. They didn't ask the important ones. Next point I made, uh, I, I wrote down, hey, GOP, when are you going to challenge the J6 narrative and what we call it the Capitol Hill FBI invitational walk-in? Uh, I've basically gone over that already, but, that, but that's it. They never challenged the narrative. You know, when they said... Um, uh, da, 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 uh, oh, yeah, the, the January 6th insurrection. I said, the one, I would have said, the one that you guys caused so you could steal the election for Brandon? There's no evidence of that. I said, there's plenty of evidence of that. You just don't look at it. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the answer. Uh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Okay, you're a megaphobe. You're afraid of America becoming great. You know, I mean, there's ways to counter all of these arguments. What else did I write? I wrote, uh, GOP completely failed to distinguish between loyalty to the U.S. and loyalty to a corrupt FBI, allowing the Democrats to link the two and demonize the whistleblowers. Yeah, this is a really key point. And so several of them, one of the Democrats, one, one of the shouters, one of the one harpies, one of the, the cackling voices like Hillary Clinton that remind men of their ex-wives and ex-girlfriends, uh, she got up and, and said, these are yes and no questions. These are yes and no questions. Answer yes or no. Are you a loyal American? Well, yes. 
you know, and, uh, and said, well, why are you going against the FBI? Why are you doing this? And I forgot exactly how they phrased it, but uh, they said, you, you know, and one of the people actually, uh, the Irish guy, you know, oh, Boyle, oh, I've forgotten his first name, but uh, the Irish guy, oh, Boyle, who said, you know, who said something really profound. He says, I am loyal to the Constitution. I swore an oath to the Constitution. I did not swear an oath to the FBI. And so he made the distinction, but nobody else did. And they never, and they never followed up on it. But that was a key distinction. Very, very clearly, he said that, uh, um, that, that his loyalty is to the Constitution and always has been and always will be. See, that's the thing about these people. They, you know, if you're, and the, Gates should have made this point because he's you know, pretty decent on this kind of stuff. Jordan, too. But then Gates would have picked up, you know, should have picked up on this and said, look, there is a difference between loyalty to the Constitution and loyalty to your country and, and loyalty to a corrupt government organization. You know, you do not demonstrate loyalty to your country by being loyal to a corrupt government organization. People are doing that, but they're doing the opposite. True loyalty to your country, true loyalty to the Constitution is expressed by going against a corrupt government organization like the FBI. And so that point needed to be made, but they, they, they had linked it. It's like uh, the term illegal immigrant. Well, that makes illegal aliens immigrants, and that means and immigrants fall under federal law, they say, uh, exclusively. Uh, only the federal government can handle immigration. So, but illegal aliens are not immigrants. They have nothing to do with immigration. They're, 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 they're criminals. So they come under criminal law, which is the responsibility of states and local governments. It's very simple. Like any other criminal. Okay? So they don't come under immigration because they're not immigrants. They've not applied to be immigrants. They've basically applied for asylum bogusly. Oh, I'm, an, oh I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm persecuted in my country. Why? Well, because I want to come here and get welfare. <laughs> you know, that's what they're saying, right? But, they, but you can't link that. So, so the Democrats said, you know, are you a loyal American? Are you loyal? Then why are you doing this? Why, why are you sitting here, you know, accusing the FBI of all these horrible things? Well, because, because they're loyal to the country. That's why they're doing it. And that point was never made. Another point to the missing. Oh, here's the big one. Yeah. The missing question for the GOP is who in the FBI signed the orders to retaliate against the whistleblowers? Name names. Not one single Republican gelding, GOP gelding, gelding old party, asked who in the FBI signed the orders to retaliate against you. Which boss did this? Who is persecuting you in the FBI? Uh, I mean, we've got the obvious ones, Merrick Garland, who's attorney general, and Chris Ray of the FBI. So obviously they know about it, you know. And I would ask them, how much do you know that Chris, Chris Ray knows about this? Did Chris Ray, do you know Chris Ray directed your supervisors to retaliate against you? Did he retaliate against you personally? You know, those are the questions. That's illegal, by the way, <laughs> you know, uh, especially when someone has whistleblower status. But it's illegal anyway to do this kind of stuff. You know, you, you don't, and, and to, to keep somebody from working, that's, that's called blacklisting. You know, these people can't work a job. They can't even get a job as a local cop you know, unless the FBI approves. Oh, please. Why would you want the agency that you're, you're telling everybody is corrupt and horrible and is committing all these crimes against Americans and the Constitution and everything else to have control over whether you can get a job or not. Well, it's silly because they're not going to let you get a job because they want to persecute you for going after them. So in other words, at the FBI and most corrupt organizations, be they corporate or government, loyalty to a horrible policy, regardless of what rights are violated, what laws are broken, and what people are injured or killed, loyalty to that company is more important and your job is more important, you know, then uh, the law is more important or the lives of people uh, are more important. What's most important is loyalty to a corrupt company or a corrupt government agency. That's what they value. They value misplaced loyalty. And those that are loyal and supporting these corrupt governments and corrupt corporate government agencies and corrupt corporations uh, are, the, are the, the worst people. The good people are the ones who say, wait a minute, 
you know, I try, I try going through the supervisor. I try going through the, the head of the departments. I try going all the way to the top. And nobody would, uh, would reform the FBI. They're still committing, you know, treasonous and uh, uh, illegal acts against uh, American citizens. That's what they're trying to stop. Okay. You know, the, it's like if they came to my show and suddenly, you know, clicked it off and the government turned off my show, which could happen. You know, what can I do about it? Well, I could do more if I had more supporters. I could do more if I had more people uh, sharing the show and sharing the bills. I could do a lot more. You know, the show are as powerful as Joe Rogan's, which it certainly should be. Then uh, I wouldn't, you know, there's a lot of issues I wouldn't have to worry about. But we're not there yet. And we will be. But that's where we stand now. All right. So I've got Derek coming in in a couple of minutes. I think I've covered all. I've got more questions uh, that I could be asking. Uh, well, let me, let me, I might as well finish this up now. I've got one more here. The other question I would have asked is, do you believe Merrick Garland and Chris Ray are capable of lying? Do you believe that Merrick Garland and Chris Ray are capable of lying? If so, is it reasonable to believe that they would lie about you, meaning whistleblowers? And then also, would they lie about FBI involvement in the January 6th election steal? And I'm going to characterize it as the election steal because that's what it was. That's where the election was stolen. Mike Pence, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, um, uh, who's the turtle? Uh, Mitch McConnell and, and some of the other uh, Republican toadies and, and most of the wimps, you know, the geldings uh, and the Democrat Marxists. That's where, that's where the election was stolen because they refused to consider the Trump electors, which they were duty-bound to do. They had to do it. That's an argument with somebody about that last week. They had to. They had to consider them because they were put forward by state legislators. So you can't have two slates of electors. So the whole purpose of January 6th was to determine whether the Trump electors from the state legislators or the Brandon electors from the governor were the valid ones. Well, since the Constitution says the state legislature picks the electors, then the state legislatures picking the Trump electors were the valid ones, and the Brandon ones should have been disqualified, which would have put Trump in the White House because he won the election. Obviously, Brandon could never beat Donald Trump in a free and fair election. Never. Why? Because Brandon couldn't beat anybody in a free and fair election. And we know that because he never did. <laughs> you know, and this is, this is the crazy part about it. Brandon, you know, Joe Biden, uh, I think he came in fifth in New Hampshire last time he ran. Uh, that's what they put him into, uh, maybe not the time before this. Well, maybe it was this time. Yeah, I think he came in fifth. <laughs> you know, and then they, they went to South Carolina and you know, put him in first, and that's how they snuck him in. So he got all the delegates in South Carolina. They corralled all the black voters in South Carolina and says, vote for Brandon. Better vote for Brandon. Republicans are going to put you back in chains. Oh, really? <laughs> the Republicans actually got uh, black slaves out of chains. Uh, it was called the Civil War under Lincoln, just in case anybody was wondering. All right, there's Derek. So uh, let's go. Let's get our financial report here. And let me just look it up real quick. And let's talk money. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work? For you, so many choices, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities, and then there are the markets, oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government. To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park, our Action Radio financial reporter, joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the markets and your money. All right. Good morning, sir. How you doing? You've been off for I think a, a week. Was that, you're off last week, or, or when was the last time you were on yeah. vacation or something? Yeah. No, I was off last week. I had a 
a golf tournament I play in, and you know, when the spring and summer, that's when the the good weather's here. So I I participate in public things, and they're typically on Fridays. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Yeah. So so yeah. tell me about this because I, I was wondering. I think we talked off the air about this. That uh, did you meet any golf pros? Do you do you know the next uh, Jack Nicholas or or Arnold Palmer? I don't even know the yeah. golf people these days. Who's who's in these tournaments? This sounds great. Um, it's really just a a lot of local people, um, you know, local businesses go out there and they, um, um, they, uh, um, I guess they advertise out there, you know, I mean, um, you know, I've, I've advertised it, it, um, at golf tournaments before. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, some of my clients and friends, they, uh, um, you know, they, they, they buy the, the spot out there because I do things for them. So, you know, I mean, I get an opportunity to go play golf with friends and, you know, kind of enjoy the day. Wow. Hey, they're welcome to sponsor Action Radio if they want, if, they want, if they're looking to uh, sponsor the next you know, peaceful revolution. Here we are. So, uh, so feel free. <laughs> Could you wear like an Action Radio shirt if we, if we made a polo shirt for you? Action Radio, Citizen Legislature. I can. Okay. <laughs> You're on. I can talk to Wendy, Wendy, uh, who does our Oh My God report uh, as a graphic designer. She's also an artist, and we're working on all kinds of merchandise stuff. We actually have press passes now, t- now too. So if you ever attend a media event, and you want to wear an Action Radio uh, press pass, you know, you're welcome to do that too. That might give you more access to more people because you're a reporter. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how it goes. So see, see all those opportunities. Widow are famous. Widow listing is huge. We, all these, all kinds of doors are going to open up. It's going to be fabulous. Uh, I'm really excited. Right. The way things are going. Yeah. Just to give you some quick news and everybody else, there's a, uh, there's a lot of people who are taking interest in my comments on Substack. So I'm a writer for Substack now at gregpenglis.substack.com. Um, and uh, a lot of people make a living just on that. So I'm, I'm hoping to have that be a huge contributor uh, to Action Radio with paid subscriptions. Five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, whatever you guys want to do, I'm happy. Um, but uh, a lot of the famous doctors and some of the, the really big writers on Substack are, are taking note of our vaccine product liability and our big tech liability bills. Uh, and so, so that might be a, a new avenue for us there as well. Does that kind of stuff register on the market? Um, sites like Substack as new writers, because it's, it's, it's a way that people can write uh, and not have to be the traditional sources, which will limit them, like the Atlantic, you know, for the liberals or uh, uh, the Federalist uh, for, for conservative writers. They all have their favorites. But Substack and, and things like that has completely opened up. Um, you could be a writer there, you know, a financial writer. Uh, but it's opened up all yeah. kinds of new avenues. Is that a market thing yet, or is it just a? Do they? It's not big enough yet. Does anybody know? It? Is it a company? Big enough? I haven't seen. I haven't seen anything now. I mean, if they're owned by a parent company, you know, I mean, there might be a company that publicly that publicly trades, but I've I've never heard of it. Hmm. I've I've heard of Substack, but I've never heard of them being publicly traded. How about that? That's better better term. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, but I'm just wondering because they seem to be. You know, like we are to uh, radio, they are to ring because anybody, I mean, I, I post articles, they're not censored. I just did the, yeah. uh, the, sports, the sports Illustrated um, Muslim uh, Women's Bikini Swimsuit Edition. <laughs> you know, I made a joke of it. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, uh, I, I couldn't do that in most places because they, well, that's, that's, that's Islamophobic. No, it's not. It's funny. <laughs> There's a difference. You know, yeah. so that's the kind of stuff I do. Um, I mean, I, I guess that they'll put... Uh... If they'll put uh, Martha Stewart in. <laughs> well, yeah, so that was good, too. So that's, that, that shows they're not ageist. But, um, yeah, and she was in, in a felon, so now they're posting felons. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe it. Right. Well, do you know what, right. Actually, do you know what happened with that? Do you know what her charge was? Was that totally bogus? I think it was, right? Insider no, trading? No, I mean, it, oh, um, it, was. It, was, it was insider trading, um, and I'd have to dig it up again, but – you know, the bottom line was was uh, you know the way the way it typically they they almost bagged uh, Phil Mickelson as well. Uh, he he's, is a pro golfer. He's a golfer. Yeah, right. He's California. Yeah. Now, now that so, I recognize so, that name, okay. 
Yeah, well, he he uh, you know escaped the charge, and I'm not exactly sure why, but um, you know his his fine was going to be something like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and what it is is typically double whatever it is the investment that they made. Okay. Um, you know, so so they bag you pretty hard. Um, hers, on the other hand, I think ended up being millions um, because hmm. it had to do with her her show and her company. Um, you know, placing uh, placing trades. Um, you know, ahead of markets and things like that, and um, you know they caught her. <laughs> so, was it guest uh, information or inside? Was it was she like had uh, you know spies that were telling insider, her things from corporations? Insider trading. Yeah. yeah okay. Insider trading. So if yeah, a company and, uh, does it, if a company does insider trading because they actually know about the deal because they're making it and they buy a bunch of stock, is that considered insider trading also? All day. Yeah, they'll be prosecuted for it. Really. Is it yeah, prosecuted but, but as much as it Nancy should Corsi's be? Nancy allowed to do it, though, for some reason. I don't know how that works. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, weird. well, that was, that's, that's another question. <laughs> you know, we're going to get there. But, uh, yeah, because yeah. members of Congress, well, we need – actually, that's, that's going to take legislation, that members of Congress – I think they're exempt from insider trading, aren't they? So, they have some kind so, of protection? Yes, they are. It's the Stock Act that protects them. And the Stock Act basically says, based on their position, they're they're exempt from any any lawful things. But you know, I mean, um, you know, it, Nancy Pelosi's not not the only one. There's there's actually a couple Republicans. Um, you know, there's actually more Democrats than there is Republicans that are involved in this stuff. Um, you know, what a lot of them end up doing is they go to companies where discretionary trading is authorized, which means they are not allowed to communicate uh, what's bought and sold, right? Um, okay. You know, so, so you know, the companies just kind of buy and sell what they feel. Now, some of these companies do allow them to call and do, you know, um, solicited or unsolicited trades. You know, so, um, you know, when it when you've got somebody that's in Congress and their and their husband is not liable for it, you know what I mean? But he is also connected to politics. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's there's news and hearsay with the groups they hang out with. And that's how it's veiled. Yeah, I mean, whispers and things like that, you know, and secret messages back and forth. I mean, this is what we're going to get to because everybody's everybody's monitored so much now. We're going to go back to, uh, you know, sealing wax, <laughs> you know, and and hand carried notes at some point. Uh, but even those can be traced. Well, know, they, they're, cop, they're, they're trying to run a bill through Congress right now that basically says um, anybody that's that's in Congress is not allowed to trade stocks. They're saying that they can do mutual funds. You know, as long as the mutual funds are very standard or indexed or, you know, something that, that is not influenced by market, like they have mutual funds that are that are healthcare sciences, so they can be influenced by the biotech market, so they can't buy those. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So and, and I totally agree with that. I mean, they, they shouldn't they shouldn't be locked out from investing. You know, what I mean, they mm-hmm. as government workers, they have their retirement plan called the TSP. Right. Um, yeah. Large government such as them um, also have another plan called a 457, right? 457 is is uh, you know a, a, another fancy way of saying extra extra place to put uh, to put money because you have higher income, right? Those are mm-hmm. higher income uh, government employees, right? So they've got venues to put money away, tax uh, um, uh, tax deferred, you know, or even you know tax free if they do Roth Roth TSP, right? You know, so mm-hmm. they have they have options. Um, you know what? What the bill basically says is says, okay, hey, you guys are still allowed to invest, but you're only going to invest in products one that are indexed or two that are standard, run of the mill, you know, large cap, mid cap. You know, you can't go into any specialty things. And I mean, they should have done this a long time ago. I mean, I mean, this should have this should have happened back in the 80s and 90s. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, probably probably even before that. But I mean, how many how many politicians have gotten rich off of stock moves um, based on their news or knowledge and and what was going on? You know what I mean? Oh yeah, so, tons. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's, uh, all the insider, all the hearings they get, all the uh, the information from from the hearings. I mean, was only the thing is Trump had I think a blind trust. Would that be an alternative, or do you want, or just want to have the the, the mainstream uh, investment things? Yeah, I mean, a blind trust is 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 the same thing as is you know the discretionary discretionary trading. You put it in there, whatever happens inside of it is already dictated by whatever happens inside of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know that means he has technically no control over it. Um, you know, so so I I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't know enough that I would say that. Um, you know, that would be a, that would be a good alternative. So I would say, you know, I mean, I, I know what his does. I know what the goal of it is, but I don't mm-hmm. know if it would achieve, you know, them being involved in any trades and stuff like that. Okay. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see it. Well, I got to say look at the stock act, but uh, if it's already in process, uh, is there much uh, support for it in Congress? Do you think? Well, stock act was given the permission um, to do this. I mean, so what, what's the new bill called? There's tons of support from the Republicans. There's <laughs> not there's not much support support from the uh, from the Democrats. Um, yeah. You know, and I can't. I'd have to look it up. Uh, it was actually brought forth by um, uh, Matt Gates, uh, Lauren Boebert, and um, mm-hmm. oh, Jim Jordan. I think it was. You know, all okay. the people that are kind of. You know, after 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 Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not just Nancy Pelosi. There's a lot of people. Everybody that comes into Congress, you know, and they're making 147 thousand in the House, I think it is, uh, and then they they still walk out a million. 174. 174. Well, I guess I'm dyslexic yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, but uh, actually, so it's almost 200. 20, Go ahead. 2024, it goes up to 212. I think it does. Really. 212,000. Yeah, it goes up to yeah. 212,000, and um, they had a bill that was squeaked in with uh, some of the last one that says all of their travel is covered mm-hmm. um, now. And and what what a lot of their complaints were was um, you know rentals when they when they are up in D.C. because they go back to their home states and stuff like that um, are overly expensive and they're coming out of pocket. Take Uber for the for the 160 days a year that they work. Take Uber. Take the metro like everybody else does. <laughs> yeah, you know, I actually, I actually saw Joe Lieberman, Senator uh, Joe Lieberman, uh, at the airport. Uh, this is kind of a funny story, actually. It was after CPAC uh, 2018, uh, the last one I was able to attend. And it was back when I had uh, my radio station helping me out on WEBY. But uh, I flew up to uh, to Washington, and I was gonna fl- I was flying home, and, and Lieberman sitting right across from me in a chair. And he's on his phone, of course. He's always talking to somebody. Important people are always talking to somebody. I'm looking at him. It's like, I, you know, I give him that look like I know who you are, but I don't know you who you are. And I said, and then finally I realized, I said, are you Senator Joseph Lieberman? He said, yes. I said, you get that all the time, don't you? I said, yes. I said, can I talk yeah, to you for a minute? Right. Why? <laughs> well, I, I've created yeah. Action Radio. So he knows about Action Radio. You know, I got to talk to him at the airport, got sure. his card, sent him some bills and things. But, uh, you know, five minutes later, he was on to something else. So, you know, but he'll, he'll, once I make the national news, he'll go, oh, I remember that guy. I met him in the airport. You know, well, let's get, mm-hmm. let's get to the report before we get too far in the field and, and talk about the, sure. uh, the, the debt elevator, as I call it. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Derek with the Action Radio Economic Report. Uh, Equities rise on earnings and debt ceiling news. After a solid gain on Wednesday, which was uh, the major averages added more than 1%, stocks mounted a late-day rally on Thursday to add to those gains. As investors digested the latest earnings announcements while keeping one eye on the unfolding debt limit negotiations, there were no official 
developments out of Washington on the debt ceiling front, but reports indicate that negotiations are ongoing, which spurred a sliver of investor optimism with recent comments from the president and the Speaker of the House signaling some willingness to find a deal. Hopes progress on the debt limit outweighed uh, excuse me, hopes of per- progress on the debt limit outweighed comments from the Dallas Fed president, which suggests that it would be premature for the Fed to end its rate hikes. The interest rates were higher on the day, while the sector leaders and laggards are a mixture of defensives and cyclicals. Page two. I hit it too fast. And now, page two. (laughs) It's moving moving too quickly on me. There we go. Okay. Uh, U.S. equities closed higher today with a... I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Dow Jones up 115 points, or 0.34%, to 33,536. The NASDAQ closed up 188 points, or 1.51%, to 12,689. The S&P 500 closed up 30, uh, 39 points, or 0.94, to 41, uh, 4,198. In the bond market, 10-year Treasury yields are trading at 3.65%, higher by 0.08. In the commodity markets, the price of crude oil was down uh, 0.91 or 1.25% to 71.92, and the spot price of gold was down $24.60 or uh, minus 1.24% to 19.60 and 30 cents. This is Derek Park um, with the Action Radio Financial Report, and you can get me at 850-995-0082. Hmm. I just missed the price of oil. I was writing something else down and momentarily distracted. What's what's oil down to now? A barrel? Um, said, what was that? Seventy one ninety two. Okay, so that's up slightly, right? I think it was like in the sixties last time we checked. Last week? No, no, we had a we had a little spike where it went back up to eighty. Um, okay. you know, with the with the news that Saudi was gonna cut production. Um that was did they? You know, a month ago. Um I I don't know if they did. I just know they were announcing that they were gonna do it. Huh. Well, that's not the same thing. I Uh, I mean, supply and demand requires a change in the supply to, you know, uh, have an impact. Um, Marco uh, texted in from, he's listening in the Netherlands right now, uh, had a question on Bitcoin. Um, Would would you be interested in making Bitcoin part of your report or just making an extra, you know, just do you know what's going on with it? I don't I, I don't keep up with it enough uh, because it's not something that we can we can trade where we're at. I mean, I can okay. add Bitcoin to the report. Um, what's going on with Bitcoin? Um, sure. You know, sure. maybe if he if there's specific things that he wants to hear, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just tell him to be more specific. Like maybe current news that's surrounding um, current pricing or you know uh, expectations. Maybe if that if that's you know that's that's kind of the run of the mill. If he wants something more specific, yeah, I can say hey, and then cryptocurrency news you know uh, i think you know bitcoin and ethereum are the are the two you know headliners maybe litecoin um you know i, I could i could toss in if there's if there's specifics that they toss want in the coin yeah. <laughs> you're funny Say again? we'll toss in a coin report okay i like that <laughs> yeah yeah sure you know, so no, I mean, I'm 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 happy to do it. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not by far, uh, uh, you know, somebody that's that's a that's a strong believer in it. Um, that's not to say that that I'm not telling people to not invest in it and make money. You know, what I mean, it's right. just personally, it's not something I um, invest my money in, um, and I've got my own reasons, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. You know, I mean, like that's just me personally. 
Okay. Marco, like I say, he's listening right now. He's typing in on, on live chat. So if you ever check the broadcast sure. page, uh, you can read it as we're doing this. He says, just add the rate to the list. And if there are some jumps in price, maybe mention the reason or if the drops in price. Okay. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's probably yeah, analysis so, somewhere. So, you could just you could just toss yeah. it and say, you know, Bitcoin is now whatever the monthly high was, whatever, and they think the reason for the change is. That should probably be yeah. Well, I mean, golly, a month and a half ago, Bitcoin hit like thirty-one thousand, um, and it's dropped to to twenty-seven or just below twenty-seven right now. Um, you know, so it got a got a recent spike. I'm not sure what the spike was about. I'd have to go back and look. I just I do watch it. Um, you know, I mean, I I watch Bitcoin and and Ethereum. Those are the only two I I kind of keep an eye on. Um, you know, but other than that, uh, yeah, I'll be happy to to. I might need a reminder because it's not part of my report. <laughs> you know? Okay, well, you know, just I don't know if you if you have like a format or a template or something like that, just to add a Bitcoin thing, or just Marco, just add, you can always ask every week. You know, just do like his last time, put Bitcoin with a question mark. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. We'll, we'll get back to you. <laughs> I think that's absolutely yeah. yeah. So so Marco, I'm a, I'm a little unprepared today, uh, but um, you know, next week. Um, if if uh, let me see what next week is. Next week is. Are you golfing? Next week's or not Memorial Day, is it? Uh, yes, it is. It is Memorial Day weekend next weekend. Okay, well, I won't be on on Friday, <laughs> so the following okay. well, week start. Yeah, yeah. We, we, so, we should uh, call it the twice twice a month financial report. <laughs> yeah, well, normally I'm better than that, but uh, Memorial Day is uh, is is kind of a special weekend for me. So um, you know, oh, as absolutely. Veteran, so oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, we're we're involved in stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, you can always talk about yeah. that too, because uh, uh, I think most folks know you're a veteran. Uh, and so served honorably. And I think that, uh, you know, you're always welcome to talk about that or not, you know, as, as, as you see fit. Um, but just to let you know what I do on Memorial Day, I have a, a standard show where I, I read the poetry uh, of soldiers uh, that was written in combat. And I go from the Revolutionary mm-hmm. War all the way to Afghanistan. Um, and so that's something that I do. So I wouldn't, I'm sure it'd be busy on Memorial Day itself, but you might want to catch the um, yeah. the podcast afterwards. Uh, that's kind of a standard thing I do. It's like on uh, Veterans Day, I do something similar to that. Fourth um, of July, we all read the Declaration of Independence. So I'll be starting that up, you know, come about mid-June. I'll be uh, sending out the word in our, in our Action Radio group chat. Who wants to read the Declaration of Independence, which this year is on? What is it on this year? Uh, let's see. Hopefully it's not on a weekend. I think, I think it might have been a Sunday last year. We'll see. July 4th is a Tuesday. Okay, good. Oh, yeah, we're good. Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. We're good. Okay. So everybody just calls in, talks, you know, and the more of our reporters that do it, of course, the shorter your reading is because we divide it up uh, relatively equally. All right. We've got 10 minutes left. Let's talk about the debt ceiling. And what I want, I want to try and ask you a different question. Ultimately, things always happen for a reason that, that people, in, in the case of finances, they make more money doing it. So who, who is behind uh, this continual dance that we do, raising the debt ceiling, uh, and even calling it a debt ceiling, because it's, it's a debt elevator with only one direction, up. And the fact that the Republicans yeah. say, and the Republicans say, we've done a great thing. We're trying to get spending cuts while we're raising the debt ceiling. I'm like, that's not a great thing at all. What would be a great thing is if you got spending cuts below the debt ceiling, so you didn't have to raise it. That would be a great thing. But then I even think trying the, for that. I think, the, I think the Republicans' hope is, you know, the election cycles next year. And, you know, really, they're they're hoping to have more power behind, you know, behind what they're trying to do. Um, you know, so they're trying to be, you know, they're trying to play nice. You know, I mean, obviously, um, you know, the, the Dems kind of took control, um, you know, three years ago. 
and mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it, and they didn't play nice. I mean, I think the debt was at twenty four trillion, and it's at thirty two trillion now. So I mean, you know, I mean, I think Trump added three and a half trillion, and you know, everybody complained and said that was terrible, and was now terrible. they've added eight. Now they've added eight trillion in three years. That's even you know, more terrible. And nobody's yeah. nobody's that an eye. You know, I mean, it's just well um, because the media. You know, they did it because yeah. it was Trump. Yeah, but and most of the yeah. Trump spending was COVID spending. How much? How much non-COVID debt did Trump add to uh, the national debt? So that would um, be fiscal. I think in the in in the money that was spent, um, right. in and out of all the bills, um, something like seven hundred billion was sent to foreign countries of of all the money. So we sent what? like of of the debt that was secured, like seven hundred billion. You know, you could call it almost a trillion was sent to other countries. That's almost our defense budget, isn't our defense budget like seven hundred fifty billion? Um, I think I thought it was like six eighty, but it could be seven hundred. Yeah. Okay. I think you're right. so it's either at or above. We sent more money to foreign countries yeah. than we actually paid for our own defense. That's insane. That's irrational. Yeah. Yeah. Only a crazy country would do well, that. It, it's a uh, you know I mean you have to understand when when the U.S. gives money to other countries, it's not just giving money to other countries. I mean I think they've sent a hundred billion to to Ukraine alone, right? So. Right. Um, you know, there's 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 backhand shady deals that come with that. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's you know, hey, uh, how are you going to pay this back to us, and when are you going to pay this back to us, right? So, um, you know, and, and you know what what comes with that is now they're in old old Uncle Sam's hip pocket, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so when we start wars and stuff like that, you know, I mean, same thing, same same reason, um, Germany, Moldova, um, you know, Switzerland, Australia. South Korea. That's the same reason all of those people were involved in Iraq. You know what I mean? Like when we got involved mm-hmm. in the war, we, we call them up and say, hey, remember, you owe old Uncle Sam. You know, so um, we need you to do this. It's humanitarian. You're not going to be involved in too many, you know, too many bullets. You know, we're, we're not going to say that people aren't going to die. I think South Korea had one dude that died. Yeah. Um, you know, so well, that could have happened they, in a traffic were, accident. That could happen if a if a um, pot no, blew up. No, it was combat <laughs> related, but but it, yeah. it was it yeah. was up in a you know they were up in an area that that really didn't see see any violence. It's actually where all the Iraqis used to go to vacation. Uh, it's a place called Erbil, and there's actually water, and it's not desert, and it's gorgeous up there. Um, wow. You know, but uh, you know their their job was to secure that area, and you mm-hmm. know they were on the southern southern area of that and i think they got into got into a skirmish with some with some um insurgents but you know anywho um you know i mean all of those people were were pulling some kind of mission over Uh in iraq for some reason because i would say it had to do with their their owing uncle sam some type of debt okay yeah, foreign aid, I always think of as, a, as corporate welfare because a lot of the money has to be spent back here in the United States buying U.S. goods with that foreign aid. So it's corporate subsidy. Uh, but now it's worse than that. Now it's money laundering because a lot of it, well, uh, the Ukraine money, money ends up in the, the Democrat and Republican parties, right? Yep. A lot of this money, yep, exactly. You know, a lot of this money uh, is going for, you know, these, these uh, Green New Deal, these green projects and stuff like that, that all of these – Senators and and House people are um, are all financially involved in, so the money the money does come back. And there's people that have connected the dots, and it and it falls on dead ears. Um, you know, I mean, it's just you know they're just like oh, you know, I mean, it's 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 part of the part of the thing. You know, I mean, it's boys just the way boys. it goes. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Part of the system. You know, it's you, just, can't, uh, you can't fight it, city hall. Yeah, I've heard this crap before. <laughs> yeah, I would, yeah, I would say that, um, you, you know, mm-hmm. if you had some president that would come in and say, hey, I plan to be transparent on the way the government spends its money, 
You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I would I would vote for him no matter what. <laughs> you know, I would just yeah, be like, oh yeah. my god. That well, I want to have a government audit. Uh, I'm I'm proposing oh, uh, I'll be working on some bills for yeah. an entire government audit. Every department gets audited. Uh, so we shut oh, them yeah. down for about a month, and they get an entire audit of everything, yeah. maybe two months. Who's your employees? Uh, just... Where are your employees? Where are they being yep. paid? Mm-hmm. What is their mm-hmm. What is their work? You know, the, what is their workload? Mm. You know, I mean, it's um, yeah, I can't tell you how many government people I've seen in my in my time in the military that you know, I'm like, what do you do again? You know, and they're like, <laughs> well, I do this and this and this, and like you never hear from them and never see them in their office, and it's just like. You know, and they're they're making you know one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to, to like you know push mm-hmm. a paper oh, yeah. once a week. Yeah, how about you the know, farmers that are paid like, not to grow crops, and uh, how about the, uh, the 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 products that aren't being made that are being paid for, and the you know, and of course the proverbial six hundred dollar toilet seats and all the other stuff the government pays money on. Oh no, it's we could you know if you yeah. want to solve if you want to solve the debt crisis, audit the federal government. Not just the Fed, but the yeah. whole federal government, because the Fed isn't part of it. That's right. But if you if you ever you know if you if you're bored one day between you know golf matches, uh, just write down a bunch of bullet points for an audit of what you would look into. I can incorporate that right yeah. into the bill because you'd be good at that. You'd be the perfect person to uh, to help me out. Just uh, and I can do the research and I can find you know where it should go and do all the the bill stuff. But just tell me what should be audited, you know, from the things that you've seen, and I'll, I'll get some more folks uh, in on it. And let's put together a, a list of things. I wish I had more time to legislate. I want to write an electric car bill. Uh, and of course, our, you know, the, the big one is our constitutional amendment to uh, take away the power of Congress to borrow money. Uh, I'm surprised that right. hasn't caught on at least a little bit of attention because I've told everybody I know uh, that that bill exists. And yet I can't think of any solution that would be better, easier, that would impact Americans. I don't care about the government, but it impact Americans less than a constitutional amendment um, to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. Because the average American, they'll actually gain money. The, the money will become more mm-hmm. valuable. The, the price of goods will drop. You know, their savings will increase. They can invest more. It's really a transfer of, of money uh, and wealth, you know, back from the Fed and the government to the people because it would be deflationary. And I, can't, I don't see a downside oh, yeah. to it. Have I missed it? Let me ask you, have I missed anything? Is there anything bad about taking away the power of Congress to borrow money that you can think of from a, a financial perspective? No, not at all. I mean, like, okay. I, I, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I personally can't even believe that, that, uh, you, you know, for, for, for all the people that complained about, you know, the money that, that was spent by Donald Trump, that they would even go in and vote for a $3.5 trillion spending bill. Mm-hmm. You know, it's oh, like yeah. well, if, if you were anybody and you had a moral conscience that complained about somebody spending money and then went in and voted for this, you know what I mean? Like, like you're literally the, the problem itself, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's I, I mean, you know, I'm sure sure everybody's guilty of it. But it's just, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think they're running the country into the ground financially anyway. You know, what I mean, like I, I think the debt ceiling, in my personal opinion, isn't as big of an issue as people make it. But, you know, it does devalue our country. And, you know, I mean, keeping, you know, our debt when it was at 20 trillion based on our production, that's kind of like saying, okay, if we close all our doors based on our revenue, we could pay everything off in about five or six years. Okay, that's reasonable. You know, what I mean, that's that's saying, hey, we're not too far, far ahead of the debt issue. Right. Um, You know, now it's, you know, that's not four or five years. Now it's what is the, the revenue per year is like 4.5 trillion, I think mm-hmm. is what it is. Um, yep. You know, so call it five just for easy numbers. Now mm-hmm. you're looking at eight to 10 years if they close mm-hmm. all their doors. You know yep. what I mean? But there's no way that they can do that. There's still budgets. There's defense budget. There's all this other stuff that they have to have. So, you know what I mean? The real number is not, you know, 30 years anymore now. It's 40 years, right? You know, mm-hmm. so. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I you know, I mean, 
I yeah, I personally would be concerned when it started crossing fifty trillion, because mm-hmm. now we're getting into the now we're getting into the concerns of hyperinflation and and you know kind of going through what what many other countries have been through that that becomes very hard to control. Unless that's the goal, you know, the goal of the the globalist uh, is first of all depopulation and to break the U.S. so that there's no place for people to go for freedom. Uh, this is what they want. Yeah. And this is, this yeah. is a, one of the main ways to do it. And here's another thing, too. We talk about the Green New Deal. Um, it was recently confirmed by the former head of Greenpeace, uh, Dr. David, I've forgotten his last name. Anyway, it's on my environmental page. Um, that, oh, I have a big spider on that page now, too. It's kind of cool. Um, but he confirmed what I believe but couldn't prove and, and wasn't sure about, um, that, uh, it was, it, that fossil fuels, or, or as I call them, organic fuels, uh, the burning of organic fuels came along at a time when the um, the carbon dioxide was at a dangerously low point. It's like 180 parts per million you know, during the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And once we started burning uh, organic fuels, petroleum products, we started raising the CO2, uh, which actually increased the plants. And the plants started you know, blooming in places they never had before. Agriculture increased. And now we're about maybe two to 400 parts per million. But you know, it has been as high as two to 4,000 parts per million. That's when the dinosaurs were around. Everything was green. And the, you know, the north and south poles were, were you know, palm trees. Um, so it's, but what he confirmed is that it's good. It actually completes the carbon cycle by releasing the carbon that's locked up in all these organic fuels. And the rest of the carbon dioxide is locked up in the ocean. The colder the oceans are, the yeah. more they lock up carbon dioxide. And so it's interesting right. that these same people that are trying to kill everybody with vaccines, uh, or so-called vaccines, um, say that, oh, if we just get rid of carbon dioxide, we'll save the planet. No, just the opposite. You get rid of carbon dioxide, you're going to kill the planet. So the Green New Deal is actually the degreening of the world. It is, it is as dangerous um, in a worldwide – it's actually probably more dangerous than the COVID shot because we can, we can uh, refuse the COVID shot, even right. with mandate. Um, but what you can't do is um, you know, you, if they take away the carbon dioxide, we're a carbon-based life form. What the hell are these people thinking? So the Green New Deal is actually right. is environmental suicide. Has that figured into the market yet? I doubt it, you know what I mean. But I have seen, I have seen, um, I have seen information on that, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, well, look at the Greenpeace head, or go, or go to my environmental page. It's, there's a video that's, that's absolutely fascinating. I've, I'd like to say I've forgotten his name, but uh, it was interesting to have because I came up with that with my usual logic and reason uh, deduction because it made sense that you know if we put carbon dioxide in the air, we're going to replace the carbon uh, that the plants are breathing, which is a good thing. Pianki's on the line. Pianki, you got a quick question because I'm sure Derek has to leave in the next like two minutes. Yeah, I know Derek's have the interesting conversation in the last three minutes of his report, but I'm not saying it's the rest is. But Derek, unfunded liabilities is 187 trillion. That's never going to be made back in our lifetime. Probably not. I mean, I I would agree. I mean, um, you know, it's it's uh, you know, what you're, what you're adding though is like all the 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 basically like every issue the american government has which i mean it, it, some of those are not liabilities that the american government has to pay those are coming in by other countries so i've seen that number that you're talking about i i don't think it's a very accurate number in my personal opinion but you know i mean i, I don't i i agree with i agree that our debts probably wouldn't be paid back in our lifetime and our debt will continue to climb so what makes it unfunded? What, uh, how would we define that that we can probably better understand uh, what's going on? That would be Social Security, Medicare in particular. But they are Medicare funded. is about $36 trillion. Have, Social Security have a budget. is about $23 trillion. Yeah, but they have a budget. They what? do. Yeah. 
Minute pay there's, for every year. Medicare. You're saying Medicare. Medicare debt is thirty six trillion. I don't know. I don't know that that's, that's Medicare liability. Medicare liability is is, is about thirty six trillion. No, I'm sorry. Thirty six billion. Okay, thirty six billion is kind of chump change compared to them. You know, I mean that's that's <laughs> well, not that no, big of a deal. No. It's climate is thirty six point three four trillion. Well, are you looking at the OBM. deck clock? You're looking at the deck clock? Yeah, it's kicking away. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And and the, and the deficit spending is like one point seven. Uh, more than what they're collecting. Well, that's, this you know, I did a report. Though. Did you guys see my report on uh, the constitutional budget where I, I found that if I went through the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, and assigned government departments to each clause in that section, and my budget came out to – and I did this back when Walter Williams was alive. In fact, I have uh, him on the interview. Um, I, should, I should play it for you or I can send it to you, Derek. But uh, we talked about that, and I said uh, – I figured out that the, the actual constitutional budget is about $1.5 trillion per year. He said, that's about right. Which at four point five trillion, that, that leaves you a three trillion dollars surplus if you buy go strictly by the constitution. But that would take out Social Security and Medicare. Um, so that didn't seem. A, I did that more for an illustrative point to show how far we've fallen uh, from the constitution, but not that it was necessarily the the thing that we could do. But if we can simply just take to stop the borrowing now, just stop all borrowing now. See, the the problem is not the borrowing itself. We can we can work our way out of that. It's the increase in the borrowing. That's really the problem. Mm-hmm. It's this constant mm-hmm. increase, this constant raising of the debt ceiling. Um, and we even have a bill that says that no budget over, bill over $100 million, which really is nothing, um, has to go for a 30-day public comment period. That would go mm-hmm. a long way, too, to informing people what's happening. Right. But, so, but just the last thing on unfunded mandates, how, how do they get funded? I mean, what's, what's, what's the connection there? How does what get funded? Say that again. Well, if we have an unfunded mandate, how do, how how are we going to deal with that? What does that what does that mean exactly? I I don't know. I okay. I mean I'm I'm sitting here trying to look at it. I see Medicare deficit at 247 billion. Like, I mean, some of these liabilities that, that some of these people come up with. I mean, it's it's hard for me to place it. I mean, I'm not saying it it's forecast? not there. Is it a forecast thing? If we don't. Uh, I don't you know, increased spending, we're going to have this much of a deficit? I mean, I'm just curious because we pay into Medicare. I don't know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> I, okay. I well, really that's don't. That's, and that's a good answer. Yeah. You know, that's a, uh, I don't know. It's perfectly valid on this show because we ask a lot yeah. of questions that can't be answered. And that's, but then we, then we start wondering why. Then we start looking into it. Bianca, you got another question? Uh, I'm sure Derek has to go at this point. Okay. All right. In that case, give uh, excuse no, the number again. And, uh, okay. And we'll talk to you. And good luck golfing. That's fine. We can always, well, we not can always today. talk about the money. <laughs> okay. Derek? All right. Well, uh, thanks, everybody. This is uh, Derek with the Action Radio Financial Report. If uh, you got any questions or concerns, you can give me an 850-995-0082. Yeah. You should put an international area code because uh, uh, Marco in the Netherlands might want to call you sometime. <laughs> so I'll have to get the international. Oh, Isn't it 011? Right. I think it's the international. Is uh, it I, the I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> you got to dial three-digit prefix, but... Yeah. When I was in the military, I used to know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get yourself a Skype line because when we get bigger, I'm serious about this. If you get yourself an online yeah. Skype line, you never know because we're going to be huge, and it's just, and you should be huge along with the rest of us in terms of what you can do. But and it wouldn't be surprising if you get calls from Canada, Australia, England, and uh, uh, Western Europe because that's where that's where our biggest audience is outside the United States. Right. Yeah. Okay. Have a good week, sir. Okay. All right. All right. Take care. Bye bye.
You too. Bye now. All right. So we're going to, uh, Derek mentioned the Memorial Day because Derek's a veteran. So he's going to be off next Friday. Uh, and Monday, I will be on the air, as I am every Memorial Day, uh, where I read the poetry of soldiers written in combat. And so anybody that wants to participate or bring a poem to the show, that'd be a good day to do it. Uh, so we're, we kind of got a free-for-all now because Candace isn't joining us. So I'm going to take a break in a little bit, but I want to check with Pianchi. Um, did you get a chance to hear the hearing or, or hear my uh, my, my dissertation, <laughs> my diatribe this morning um, on the on the failures of the geldings in the hearing yesterday, the whistleblower hearing? Yeah, I listened to you. It was uh, pretty punctual and straight to the point. Well, I, I, I do try. <laughs> you, you know, and as they say, practice makes perfect. So the more, uh, oh, the thing uh, Marcus is, is, yeah, go ahead. Well, the thing uh-huh. is, is this, what's going to come out of these hearings? So a lot uh-huh. of talk, a lot of sh- sh- shouting going back and forth at some of these hearings. Uh, and the same person that you've beaten up today, uh, that's being uh, ready to ride at the day, they'll be back next week and a week after. So uh-huh. you got to have some action. Some of these people need to go to jail. Hmm, exactly. And so that wasn't mentioned. It's like the Durham report, the biggest failing. Well, I wrote, uh, in fact, I posted on a friend of mine's uh, post on Facebook, and I was talking about, uh, they talked about the Durham report. Isn't it great? Durham report came out. I said, no, it's not great. I said, first of all, Durham's part of the deep state. Uh, His report, to be any good at all, had to come out before the 2020 election. We said this back in 2019. Uh, We said that it should have taken about six weeks tops to investigate, because we already knew basically that uh, the whole thing was a hoax from the Hillary Clinton campaign. You could have done it probably in one day. You know, you bring in Hillary Clinton uh, campaign operatives and say, did you make up this story? You're under oath. Yes or no. You know, if you did, then, uh, you know, we'll give you immunity. If you, you know, if you lie about it, then you know, we're going to convict you of perjury and you're going to go to jail, <laughs> you know, for lying about it uh, as well as doing it. You know, I mean, there are ways to do it. It could be done in a couple of days, but they didn't do that. Right. And so Durham is part of the deep state. Bill Barr is part of the deep state. Bill Barr is that horrible attorney general. Trump can't stand him. Uh, in fact, Trump did not have a good attorney general. And I think that's, that's part of the deep state plot. They had Sessions, who just recused himself from anything to do with Russia. First thing is, right? So he talks big, gets Trump's favor, uh, becomes attorney general, and then does nothing. And then Bill Barr comes in, who's also a deep state. He's a deep state Bush appointee. Uh, he comes back, and he does nothing. And he, he makes this ridiculous claim that if there's not enough election fraud to change the result, then it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. And as I use that example all the time, that'd be like saying if a bank robber doesn't steal enough money to put the bank out of business, then they're not guilty of robbery. Well, that's absurd. You know, so. so and what did he consider enough? Within well, two, to change the result. one to tie yeah. and one to go over? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so exactly. So it's not vote fraud uh, if it results in a tie. Uh, it is vote fraud if it results in the, in the wrong person winning. You know, so that, yeah, that, that's a stupid. That's not even a valid legal principle. Vote fraud is vote fraud. If one vote is fraudulently cast, um, you know, it's, it, that's vote fraud. That's enough to disqualify a candidate. However, in practical terms, uh, discretion of law enforcement, they, they you know, do this all the time. They overlook, uh, they don't charge everybody with every last single thing they could. It'd be, you know, the whole half of, half of America would be in, in jail for something, some minor infraction, right? Because we're all guilty of, well, we, we commit like nine felonies a day of a very, less, you know, very low degree, you know, one form or another. You know, and so uh, it, it's crazy to do that. So that's where discretion comes in. So would I overturn an election for one vote? No. For a lot of votes? Yeah. Even if they didn't change the result. Vote fraud is vote fraud. You still disqualify the candidate because that prevents them running again. At least I hope so. Um, so, so. So the Durham report was four years too late. It didn't indict anybody. 
didn't, didn't demand anybody be fired. Uh, in fact, there were no repercussions, no changes, no policy changes that I could see. I mean, there's, there's no, you know, I mean, they might have made some recommendations like don't do a hoax again, you know, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, it was totally useless. So, so that's, that's deep state. Back to the hearing yesterday. So they just, they just wimped out. You know, the Republicans, they never asked, they never asked who signed off on, on, on uh, the retaliation. You know, who gave the order to go after these people? I think it had to have been uh, all the way up to Merrick Garland. Because who wants to take responsibility for retaliating against an FBI employee as, as a low-level manager? I don't think anybody would. Do you? Well, I would like to be president for 30 days. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I have plenty to talk about. Yeah. So they didn't, they didn't mention who retaliated. They didn't uh, go after the Democrats for uh, saying that if you're disloyal to the FBI, you're a disloyal American, to which I would have said, that's absurd. These people are completely loyal Americans. They're just not loyal to a corrupt FBI. That was never made. Uh, the whole January 6th thing, every time the, the Dems talked about January 6th, the insurrection, I would have said, you mean the stolen election? To which they would have said, no evidence for that. To which I would have said, there's plenty of evidence. You just won't look at it. And you're megaphobes too. You're afraid of this country being great. And... The other thing I would have said to the Democrats was, you own the FBI. You know, they can't share. These whistleblowers cannot share information with you because you can't be trusted. You own the FBI. Your party owns the FBI. I don't see any Democrats being investigated, prosecuted, or having their doors kicked in. So, of course, they can't get the information that the Republicans have. They can't be trusted. They're going to run to the FBI heads. They're going to be more retaliation against more whistleblowers. uh, And they're going to be, um, and it's going to go straight to the New York Times. They're going to broadcast all the secret information the whistleblowers are bringing. So, of course, you can't share it with the Democrats, but they never said that. They said it's up to – Jordan said it's up to uh, Adams, one of the, one of the, the whistleblowers. So it was up to him if, if we share it. No, it's not up to him. And they said rightly, you know, it's not up to him. It's up to the committee, to which he should have said, well, the committee rules. You know, I'm the chair, and I'm ruling that you don't get the information because you can't be trusted with it. Overwhelming evidence has shown that you people – you know, have a fake narrative for January 6th, you stole the election, and you can't be trusted with FBI whistleblower information. That's what he should have said. But he didn't. Well, I agree with you. Barr was terrible. Hmm? And, you know, Trump had a good plan for running the country, but as far as dealing with, quote, unquote, your deep state, which you have applied some names to, Mm-hmm. It was a whole new body for him. It so how did, we, how did we get in a situation where we have a group of people that hate this country so much that anybody who tries to make it better is demonized and, and canceled and, uh, and, you know, attempted to be destroyed? Any, you know, the, the whistleblowers are trying to help the FBI do what it's supposed to do, follow the Constitution uh, and go after criminals and terrorists. That's what the FBI is supposed to do, and they're not doing it. But the people that are, that are corrupt – are the ones who are being rewarded. They get to keep their jobs and they get to make a ton of money. The people who are trying to fix the FBI get completely persecuted and they lose everything. So how do we get in a situation where people actually value, you know, it's like the nation of government, that article I wrote a while back. People, the, the people in Washington value the government more than they value the Constitution. They value the power of government and their own power more than they value the lives of every other American. How do we get in a situation where it's such an incestuous group of, of self promoting power-hungry megalomaniacs 
that they simply don't care about anything except their own power and their own prestige and their own money. That's no way well, to you, the country. That's it. That's three old herbs. Power, prestige, and money. Yeah. And where's the best place to get it? What's the best job going on in the hood? Politics. For how many? Mm. Well, maybe a few. Yeah. A few who dish out promises that mm-hmm. would inspire others to seek that glorification themselves, even upon even on the back of lies and deceit. And then too, this all is accomplished and made easy by ignorance and the populace. You got an ignorant populace mm-hmm. that don't understand how things work. They are inspired by inflammatory words and faithless faith, irreligious religions. And they're already um, they're already against themselves. They already give up. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you know, on a vaccine a liability legislation. Well, that'll never pass. I said, why have you given up already? Well, it'll never pass. I said, you don't know that. You have a clue. You're just saying that. And because you're saying that, yes, it will never pass if enough people like you say that. But that's, that's, there's nothing definitive. There's nothing inevitable about that. Of course it could pass. All we need is enough people to send the bill to Congress and keep pressuring Congress so that it does pass. Now, granted, we're going to have billions of dollars of opposition from every big pharma lobbyist to every member of Congress, and every leftist media is going to talk about how terrible it is, even though every other company has product liability. So they're going to look like a bunch of hypocrites. But there's no reason to think it won't pass. It can pass. I got a couple of uh, folks. There's uh, one of my new ones, Dr. Sansone on uh, Substack, and it's public, so I can say it, um, that uh, he likes my, um, my comment talking about product liability. Let's see if anybody else did while I'm here. Oh, it's Dr. Sansone. Let's see if I can get his comment. Comment, comment, comment. Another person liked my comment. Oh, here we go. So he says, huh, uh, it was, it was, well, this is kind of interesting, actually. There's several counties in Florida that have banned the jab. So I'm just going to read part of this. It says, uh, shout out to Sherry Johnson and the Patriots in Seminole County GOP. Oh, at the Seminole County GOP. This is in Florida. They passed ban the jab resolution with 90 95% of the vote. Seminole County, uh, Florida's Republican Party is now the fifth GOP county party in Florida to take a stand against genocide and declares the COVID-19 injections biological and technological weapons. Well, that's really good. But I wrote my bill two years ago that would have been put liability on all vaccine things as, you know, <laughs> as potential bioweapons. So why, you know, would they congratulating themselves for doing some tiny little thing when two years ago, up to the present, they could have had something that really would make a huge difference. But at least they're doing something. At least not, but, uh, you know, and so I wrote, I said, wait a minute, <laughs> I got a better idea. I've got uh, a lot more that you guys can do than just this, uh, this jab for this particular uh, vaccine. Since the ban the jab resolution also calls on the governor and legislature to prohibit the distribution and the attorney general of the state of Florida to confiscate the bioweapons and conduct forensic audits. Well, this is actually kind of interesting. But we can do all the same stuff, you know, with our bill. So let's see what happens. You know, um, to me, it's is, is kind of fascinating that they're actually doing this. This is a good deal. Let's take a pull the article up here. Well, I think it's a good deal, too. There needs to be product liability. I wouldn't fly a plane that didn't have some uh, checks and balances <laughs> that will make sure that it's liable yeah. if something happens. Would you? No. No, but see, but one of the problems is they went crazy with the product liability back in the 80s. 
and they actually made it impossible um, for uh, for airplanes to be built because they, they took away everything. They took away all the good stuff. They, they made it, the, the airplane so expensive, nobody could buy them. Now, let me tell you what I wrote. So, here, here, so here's the article. Oh, this is a different article. Uh, oh, yeah, ban the jab update. So uh, I wrote a comment at the bottom of it. I said, ban the jab for COVID is a start, but it is nowhere near as comprehensive as our bill from the Action Radio Citizen Legislature that puts product liability on all vaccines, past, present, and future. Also, our bill is already over two years old and preceded any mandates. Had y'all adopted it at the time we wrote it, there would not have been any mandates. This is please, GOP and everyone, support this bill. Get this bill to Congress, the state legislatures, and all media. It covers everything about vaccines. And I put the bill in, and I put our websites, blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction, and writeyourlaws.com. And then the doctor who wrote the article gets back to me. He says, this is great, but it is different. He says, you are right. Uh, it is a start. So far, five county GOPs have passed it. The ban the jab is a resolution designed to build to, to lead to legislation and enforcement of biological weapons laws. Since it declares the COVID-19 shots, bioweapons, and technological weapons, calls for confiscation and forensic audits, it is also designed to lead to prosecutions. The COVID-19 shots meet the legal definition of biological weapons according to Florida and federal law. That's kind of interesting. That's Dr. Joseph Sansone, uh, for those that are interested where I got this. So, and then he, so then, um, that was, so he, he responded to me. And so then I wrote, thank you, Dr. Sansom. I'd love to have you on the show, da, 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 uh, He says, could there be a, another, another person said, could there be a ban the jab caucus? But the point is, people are noticing this. And I got another comment here. Um, da, 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 da. Yeah, why, why do we call it a bioweapon? But the point is, people are noticing. People are no, I, I'm doing these comments on different Substack articles, and the authors are noticing. You know who noticed? Naomi Wolf. She noticed. Now, she never followed up on it, which is too bad, but uh, she knows I wrote this. Uh, some other folks do. Robert uh, Malone, Dr. Malone, when he was on the show, I told him about it. Peter McCullough was on the show. I told him about it. Uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits is supporting the bill, uh, hopefully talking to Bobby Kennedy, so he will, he will support it. I have to check in with her and see what's going on. <laughs> you know, we have a bill that bans drug advertising, prescription uh, drug advertising. Um, I want to know where that's going. So we've got the bills, but we're just, at this point, we've got to get somebody interested in them or a whole bunch of somebodies who write articles who are on the media uh, and some politicians like uh, Bobby Kennedy, hopefully Donald Trump too, but Bobby Kennedy would be a big start. Well, it's something to work for, Greg. Who you got coming in next? Uh, for guests? Well, the guests I'm working guests, on now yes. is, yeah, well, so next week I'm trying to get uh, Charles, uh, I'm trying to get Charles Marone. And Charles Marone, or Marin, Charles Marin, uh, is the head of an uh, organization called Strong Towns. And so they're the ones that talk about getting rid of your expressways, putting more green areas, making your cities more walkable, bringing in more small independent businesses, you know, bring in um, uh, bike lanes, uh, you know, and parking so people can actually walk around uh, and bring in the type of business that, that draws foot traffic. He says, that's how you build a strong town. And we've got, in Milton, we've got a river, we've got a nice two-lane road. You know, we've got the Imogene, this beautiful old theater from 1912. We've got a bunch of restaurants. We're getting more. Uh, we just got a new Greek bakery in town. And so I've talked to the owner of that. Uh, we've got hopefully uh, Scoops. It's called the Sweet Greek. We've got uh, hopefully Scoops ice cream will come back in town. My favorite cafe, Mama Lattes. 
is over near the high school. I hope they open up a branch downtown. So things are happening here. So we're getting a strong town. But there's still these insane people that want to build an expressway, a four-lane you know, highway through the center of Milton. And that would destroy the town. So we've got a big meeting coming up Thursday. So, uh, yes, it's a local Milton issue, but there's a lot of towns out there. There's a lot of places where they have expressways where they could have a vibrant uh, uh, downtown walkable area. Lots of, in fact, when cities get rid of their expressways, things boom. I'll give you a perfect example. San Francisco. Uh, in fact, I was talking to a, a Facebook post on this the other day. San Francisco used to have big overpasses, uh, the Embarcadero Freeway. There was a highway through the center of town. Uh, there's like three of them. And this is before the earthquake of 89. And underneath those expressways, uh, things were horrible. They were in the shade. It was miserable. It was cold. It was windy. Uh, you had no development, no tourism, no nothing. Nobody went there because it was dangerous. Some of those dangerous parts of the city are under elevated roads. And when we had the earthquake in 89, um, some of them collapsed. And some were so dangerous, they were about to collapse. So they took down all the elevated roads in San Francisco as an earthquake precaution. Uh, the Embarcadero, they got rid of the world's ugliest freeway, the Embarcadero Freeway. And when they got rid of that, now they have streetcars from all over the world. They have beautiful palm trees from, I think, I don't know where they're from, the Canary Islands. Um, they have, it's walkable. Everybody walks the whole thing. All the cargo warehouses are now converted into restaurants and uh, shops and all kinds of stuff all on the wharf from the ferry building all the way to Fisherman's Wharf. And these beautiful old streetcars. Uh, they, we have like the world's greatest collection of streetcars in San Francisco. They've got a Melbourne tram, a, a Toronto tram uh, streetcar. They've got uh, Milan has uh, ones. Egypt has one. Uh, we've got uh, from all over the United States. We've got a New Orleans, you know, a streetcar named Desire. Uh, we've got early San Francisco cars, later San Francisco cars. We've got a Brooklyn car. We've got a Chicago car. We've got, um, I don't think they have a Los Angeles one, but it, it, it's just absolutely gorgeous. So if you get rid of these overpasses and these big expressways, things open up and it's the best thing. Cities find that out. Look at the San Antonio Riverwalk uh, or Pike Place in Seattle or, or the Boston Market or the, the Ferry Building in San Francisco. All these things are walkable, you know, big shop areas, with, you know, lots of foot traffic. Uh, Sausalito. Everybody takes the ferry over to Sausalito because well, it's completely walkable. You can walk it in, in a few hours and see everything you want to see. They get 1.6 million visitors a year in Sausalito. Not bad for a little town. So that's what I'll be talking about next week. We well, about they tried this street course stuff in University City, Missouri, right outside of St. Louis. It didn't work. guy by the name of Joe Nathan, Nathan mm-hmm. who's an eccentric millionaire, and uh, they put the track in, coming out of U-City in St. Louis, running down and going over to Forest Park, turning around. Hmm. Well, it never went no place. Was that an area that was used by people for public transportation anyway, or were they trying to generate uh, a need for it? No, it was a very, it was, it was, it was a very uh, prosperous area with shops, restaurants, uh, place where uh, Chuck Berry used to perform, hmm. Blueberry Hill. That's Domino. But, um, I found my thrill on Blueberry Hill. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so all those things, and near the uh, Washington University. Hmm. So, uh, you know, those things, those ideas came and they go. Well, some work and some don't. I mean, they worked in San Francisco because we always had our streetcars. They actually preserved them. 
Uh, and then they started getting – they had a streetcar museum, and then they started uh, putting them on. In fact, this started over several years, so they did it one July 4th. They, they put all the old streetcars out and just let them run up and down uh, Market Street and uh, the Embarcadero. Now, those just happened to be the two most crowded streets in San Francisco. And so it was a natural to take that big boulevard in the middle on the streetcars that had always been there. In fact, it used to be cable car tracks. The cable car used to run uh, uh, up and down Market Street to the, to, uh, the ferry building. Which is where all the tourists, which is all the, the passengers came in from Oakland. Before the, the Oakland Bay Bridge, they all came by ferry to the ferry building. It was, the, it was the second most crowded passenger terminal in the world after Grand Central Station in New York. Everybody came across the ferries while well, they were slow. And then they built the Bay Bridge in 1930, started in 32, finished in 36. During the Depression. Not bad, huh? Anyway, so the cable cars used to run, then they ran the streetcars. So streetcars ran up and down Market and up and down the, the Embarcadero. So the tracks were already there. So it's just a question of putting them out. So they put them out on July 4th, and that was really successful. So they started putting them out on weekends in the summer, and that was really successful. Then they, then they did them the whole summer, and that was successful. And then they just started running them all year, <laughs> and that was really successful. So we had these streetcars all year, and they're fabulous. I've been on uh, many of them. They were great fun to travel on. Well, same as the bus fare. Well, I used to have streetcars in St. Louis, too. When the uh, car went to turn, the driver, somebody had to get out and take a long pole and swap the lines over. Yeah, I've seen the that. Electrical lines. So in the cable cars, what did they do? Have cable that was in the ground that would pull up, the, pull the car up, pull the car uphill? Then uh-huh. what happened when it gets to the top of the hill? Just let it go? <laughs> no, they uh, they actually had a. Uh, the cable would go beyond that. They could release the cable. So the way a cable car works is really ingenious. Uh, if you've ever seen a rope tow ski lift, you ever seen one of those? You hang under the rope tow and it pulls you up the hill. Ever seen those? No, I've never seen those. Oh, okay. Well, let me describe it then. Uh, if you can imagine underground uh, a cable running up one side and then running down the other side. So there's, there's wheels at both ends. So the cable, the, the actual power source was the cable car building. There's one building in San Francisco that powers six lines, and they have these huge machines. And these huge machines drive the cables. And what the cable does, uh, it's under the street, and it goes up uh, one lane you know, between the tracks, and then it runs down the other lane. So there's a, there's a slot between the tracks. And what goes through that slot is the grip. And so what the grip does, so if you look at a cable car, there's like two big levers. One's a brake, and the other's a grip. And that's how you run a cable car. So the grip is the big lever. So the grip is, is a winched thing. It's all manual, right? So the grip is like a vice grip. And what the vice grip does is it grips onto the moving cable. The cable moves uh, six and a half miles an hour. And so the cable is always moving. You can hear the cable under the street. Steel cable keeps moving. Um, and then they have these grips, which grip onto the cables. Now, the grip only lasts about two weeks because you can imagine that uh, a steel gripping onto a, a steel cable you know, uh, it's not going to last that long. <laughs> you know, so the cable lasts a long time. I think they have lead, you know, around the, or I forgot what they, they have a softer metal. So it grabs onto it, but it doesn't damage the cable itself. So the cable steel, and then they have these grips. The grips have to be replaced, but it only takes about 30 seconds. So they're always making grips. They're still making grips, by the way. And so the grip, you know, they're just thrown in, taken out. They can just get dropped right into the cable car. And you pull back on the, on the winch, and then the grip grips onto the cable, and the tighter it grips the cable, up to six and a half miles an hour, off you go. So you can grip the cable partially and let the cable slip through, and you can do like one, two, three, four, five miles an hour, whatever the, whatever the speed the cable driver, cable driver wants. And then when they release the cable, then they can put on the brake, and that stops them. And the brakes are still pine. They're still wooden brake pads. 
and those have to be replaced a lot too because they don't last very long. But pine's a lot more easy to replace than the than the uh, the actual grips. So that's how you want a cable car. So the cable keeps moving, and the uh, the driver of the cable car, and it's all it's very physical. So you see, mostly guys doing it. Uh, and that's the, that's the key job. That's the one everybody wants in San Francisco is the cable car driver job because that's the most fun. And um, so you have to probably wait like 20 years to become a cable car driver because everyone wants to do it. And they don't leave. They retire. <laughs> you retire from that job. Uh, and so that's the, that's the best public transit job uh, in the city. And that's how you do it. You grip the cable. You let go of the cable. Uh, you put the brake on. You put the brake off. But what you don't do is put the brake on and grip the cable at the same time because that's just stupid. You probably break something. Make sense? Well, I guess it works. It works fine. And they've been doing it since the 1800s. In fact, the cable cars used to be privatized. They were individual companies. So a company would buy a cable car line, and they would run that line themselves. They'd pay for the motor. They'd pay, uh, you know, whatever, and they'd charge a fare for going up uh, one street. Now, you, they would usually be several miles long, but well, maybe a couple miles long. But, yeah. It has, the cable cars started as individual companies, and then they came under the city. It's a great system. So from cable cars, and a lot of cities had cable cars. Uh, St. Louis probably had cable cars at one point. I mean, they started in San Francisco, and they stayed here because of our hills. Now St. Louis didn't have cable cars. Only electric, electric uh, oh, street cars, cars no cable. Yeah. Well, cable cars started in San Francisco because of the hills. Street cars couldn't get up the hills. Well, they weren't invented yet. Cable cars started in the 1800s, uh, and the idea for it came from the gold rush because they used to have these, uh, uh, these ore-carrying, um, you know, these big steel buckets of ore, and they would haul them up to the, mm-hmm. the mountains and then haul the ore down for a breakup and see if there's gold in it. Well, uh, you know, Andrew Halliday, Andrew Halliday, a Scotsman who was in gold country, got the idea, you know, from, uh, from the winches and the, and the cars, they used to call them, that, that held the uh, ore, uh, the rocks, basically. Uh, he, he took that same cable. Uh, instead of making it a rope cable, he made it a steel cable and put it under the street. And uh, they, built ca- they built the cars on top of it. So by the, you know, sometime in the 1800s, they started running cable cars. And it was the only vehicle that could get up. Uh, the wagons could get, couldn't get up the hills, but the cable cars could. In fact, the cable cars, on the rare times when San Francisco had snow, the cable cars are the only things that can get up the hills. When there's snow or you're icy. Not even cars can do it. <clears throat> Have you been to San Francisco? Have you seen how steep those hills are? Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah, it's a beautiful city. Not right now, <clears throat> but um, but it's uh, you know, I love being there for the time I was there, and then right around two thousand, it was time to go. But uh, I had a kid to raise. Once my kid was raised, it's like I'm out of here. <laughs> I've seen it. I've had. I, I was there for the best part. I uh, got there in uh, mid 1980s, and so like the years between 1985 and 2000 were 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 pretty good. You know, it's what you do in San Francisco. Now it's just trash. They just trash the whole place. It's too bad. It's a beautiful city. <clears throat> anyway, streetcars um, replaced the cable cars along Market Street and the Embarcadero because those are flat. But the hills, Pacific Heights, you know, uh, off the wharf, Knob Hill, Russian Hill, all those places still have cable cars. Cable car stops at the top of Lombard Street, the crooked one. So and it goes right to Fisherman's Wharf. So you can go right from downtown San Francisco through Union Square, uh, up to Union Square. Yeah, Union Square, uh, up to the top of uh, Knob Hill, down to Fisherman's Wharf. It's really fun. Anyway, I had enough of this. I think <laughs> we take a break. Come back and talk more issues, and uh, maybe I'll play an interview. Um, 
my, my Megan Barth uh, ICIN interview. Or we can go over some issues. But anyway, any more comments? Anything else uh, bugging you this week? And then I'll, uh, we'll take a little break here. Well, there's a lot of things to talk about, but uh, generally what we've uh, expected or talked about it before. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm certainly, I'd rather talk than, uh, um, than read articles. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I read the articles, so I know what to talk about. But let's see, let me take a little break now and let's see what issues you have on your mind. If you want to write down some issues, uh, then I might just uh, close out with the interview. Um, and so I might stop a little early today. It's Friday. You know, we'll see. We'll see what goes on. But let me get some things played first. And then we will be, I'll be uh, right back. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. So you want to help us out? Here's how. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. 
Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Grace Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try, even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. Well, 
Well, like I say, I've got a ton of articles, as I always do at the end of the week, but that's okay. I'd rather just chat. And so we've got a little bit of time here. Actually, we, you know, we can get in some stuff. I'll, I'll still play the, the Megan Barth interview so we really understand this ITIN number. So I, I'm, anything's open, you can give me a call here, 215-383-3832. Marco, in the Netherlands, you can suggest a topic. You know, put it on live chat. And Pianchi, of course, you're welcome to talk about anything now. Uh, and then we can uh, you know, maybe relate it back to the whole the, the seditious conspiracy. I think what happened yesterday was part of the seditious conspiracy to discredit the, the FBI whistleblowers to say they're not whistleblowers uh, and to uh, say that uh, the Republican Congress is trying to weaponize the, the Trump campaign against Americans. So they're trying to reverse everything. Uh, it's really quite interesting. Anyway, what what you got for news, Pianchi? What, uh, what's been on your mind this week? Well, you know, that's not the uh, – that wasn't – that's not the – I guess you can say the brainchild of the FBI. That's politicians that resorted into using them, uh, like mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton and Comey. Mm-hmm. You know, under normal circumstances, the people of that organization would think different than the actions that we're seeing. And like you may mention, that that organization needs to be disassembled, the real self, and also should be placed in its proper perspective as far as authority is concerned. We should not have a carte blanche authority over a local and state authority. It just shouldn't mm-hmm. happen. Right. Yeah. No, in fact, wherever the, the FBI is, is operating, uh, whether it's uh, locally or within a, a state, if it's multiple localities, then they have to have permission of the local police to, to – they can assist the local police, but the local police will, would always be in charge. Uh, the state police would always be in charge of a bigger operation. The FBI would be there to assist, but they can't commandeer and take over and run the operation. Look at, uh, look at Waco. You know, Waco was always handled quite successfully by the county sheriff of Waco, Texas. Uh, and they never had any problems. You never even heard about Waco until the ATF decided to go in and Operation Showtime uh, and make a big splash, you know, before their budget hearing to show how valuable they were because they were doing a bunch of terrible things to people. Well, then they did some really terrible things to the Branch Davidians. They killed them with the help of the FBI, with tanks, poison gas, uh, pyrotechnic uh, devices that uh, set a fire to after they've already punched holes in the building so the wind would come whistling through. Uh, and they killed these people. That's not what the FBI should be doing or the ATF. You know, it shouldn't be in the business of murdering Americans. So, yeah, I would dismantle, I would get rid of the entire enforcement arm of the FBI because uh, it's not needed, it's not necessary, and it's actually unconstitutional. The investigative part, you know, like the fingerprint collection and the, uh, the DNA samples, I mean, that's not specifically authorized because they didn't know about that technology back in the 1700s. So I don't have a problem with that, especially if the states agree to it. If states don't object to the FBI having a central file for some of these things. That's no problem because they're not enforcing anything. It's the enforcement part where it's where the problems come in. And the other part is that the, uh, the, the Democrats, here's the part that really gets me, the Democrats own the FBI. You know, even when uh, Trump was in office, because Trump didn't put Republicans in all the senior management positions. He was an idiot. He let Chris Ray there. You know, uh, he had stupid attorney generals, William Sessions, Bill Barr. They were deep state. They were horrible. Sessions recuses himself as soon as he gets in from anything to do with Russia. He should have been fired right then. Well, if you can't, if you can't be attorney general, if you're going to recuse yourself, you're out of here. That would have been the thing to do. So Trump really screwed up when it comes to the FBI. But the FBI has to be purged of all political operatives. And that would include Republican operatives. I don't want political operatives in the FBI. So you might have to get rid of, I'd say, the top, probably everybody, you know, the, the top one-third. All the, all the, the, whoever's whoever's a, a manager or supervisor with a political agenda or anybody who's subordinate to the Democrats, they have to go. Pianchi? 
Well, yeah, that's a good point. And that's a logical way to go about <clears throat> trying to put things back together the way it would be ideal. Mm-hmm. And these agencies <laughs> like the GM, yeah. they make these rules. These these rules, on, uh, for instance, the, the ownership and the operation of weapons, that needs to be challenged too. And I'm well, first <laughs> saying if you make a rule agency yeah. head, then that rule should be voted on by Congress. What's your thought? Well, I think that's the way it used to be, that a rule does not become a rule until Congress votes on it. I think Congress wimped out. I think they passed something that, where uh, a rule becomes a rule if Congress doesn't object to it. Let's look it up real quick. Let's, let's do a quick search here. I'm going to move my microphone and get my uh, stuff out of it. Let's see. Uh, can a rule become a vo- uh, rule become law without a vote of Congress? Can a rule become law with W-I-T-H? Uh, vote of Congress. Let's see what comes up. And really, you shouldn't call a rule law anyway because it's not law. It's just a rule. Rule based well, on the head of the agency's interpretation of the law. Well, is, the problem is that it has the effect of law because you can get a fine under a rule. You know, you can get a, a you can, I think you'd be imprisoned under a rule. If you, if you, a rule has the force of law. A regulatory rule is the force of law. But uh, it shouldn't be unless Congress authorizes it because only Congress can make laws. So if Congress adopts, it, adopts a rule as law, then that's the proper procedure, and they can do that. But let me, let's go to the Federal Register. So I just found here a guide to the rulemaking process. Uh, what gives the agencies the authority to issue regulations? Let's look at that. Let's see how this works. Agent, oh, here we go. <laughs> this, is, this is right from the government, Federal for Register. Agencies get their authority to issue regulations from laws, statutes enacted by Congress. Well, that's true. In some cases, the president may delegate existing presidential authority to an agency. Typically, when Congress passes a law to create an agency, it grants that agency general authority to regulate certain activities within our society. Okay. So, you know, just an agency must not take action that goes beyond its statutory authority. Well, that's, that's all right. So what I need to do, let's find something a little more definitive. How a bill becomes law, interpretation article in section seven. You know, so they're not helping me here. So they don't answer the question, can a rule become law without a vote of Congress? And they don't say. I don't have the definitive thing on that here. I keep looking for just another quick second here. Hmm. No, they don't. Let me see. Rephrase the question. The citizens of the United States are living under rules more so than laws. I think ninety-six yeah. percent oh, yeah. of yeah, ninety-six percent, four percent are actually voted upon, and that's really ridiculous. Yeah, it is. That needs to change. That's our department. Regulatory. Because you got these zealous people, and you know it's very peculiar that in the ATF it's one after the other. It seems like they was cut out of the same mold, just given a different facial appearance and name. You know, it's exactly what you said about carte blanche is right here. I just found it from the Hill. Here's an article that says. Don't give federal agencies carte blanche on regulations. The Congress vote. So I'm guessing they don't. Uh, this is from oh, this is this is day <laughs> five nineteen. This is this is like um, 
you know, 50 minutes ago, you know, it's 9 a.m. Eastern time, which was 8 a.m. our time. Uh, so this, this is a brand new article. It's, oh, isn't this timely? Oh, let's take a look at this, Pianca. Look at what we've discovered. Don't get federal agencies carte blanche on regulations. Make Congress vote. Dame James Brochel, B-R-O-U-G-H-E-L, opinion contributor to The Hill, who says, and I haven't read this. I, mean, I literally just pulled this up. The Limit Save Grow Act, recently passed by the Republican House of Representatives, would raise the nation's borrowing limit through March 31st of next year, or $1.5 trillion. Okay, now I would call that economic insanity, treason, and suicide, but that's just me. The measure also includes the provision that would require a congressional vote on major regulations. Oh, now we know why it's not passing. This is why, this is why the Democrats don't want this, because they like making rules without Congress passing it. I didn't even know that was in the bill. See, this should have been a separate bill. So this is where Congress screws up. The, the GOP gelding screw up. They should have this as a separate bill. So everybody knows it's there. They would have got more support for it. But they thought they would sneak it in, right? Idiots. It says, currently, no such vote is required. So there's, there's your answer. A rule can become law without Congress voting on it. That's insane. It says, administrative agencies are able to push through their final regulations with little input from the legislature. Oh, there we go. In response, some, arguing, some argue that forcing Congress to vote on regulations would, quote, make it impossible to regulate. That's not true, because Congress makes all the laws, and a regulation is a law. Therefore, it has to be voted on by Congress per the Constitution. Then it says, don't believe the hyperbole. A number of states already require legislative votes on regulations, and it doesn't hamstring the process. Even if it did, it wouldn't matter. And we want the process. But that's at the state level, not at the federal level. Right. Well, states make regulations all the time. Uh Yeah, it's good because it's a state. But mm-hmm. the thing is, is saying that a rule is a law is really, really, it's terrible because only legislatures can make laws. Exactly. But since rules uh, have the bureaucratic effect of law, head cannot make laws. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But they can at the federal level. See, now the states that require the state legislatures to vote on them, that's a good thing. And the states can make regulations, you know, because regulations have the effect of law. See, that's the problem. I'll give you a perfect example. California Air Resources Board. The most tyrannical agency in the country is the California Air Resources Board. They've outlawed fires in the wintertime. They outlawed um, carburetors in cars. Uh, they've outlawed cars, you know, gasoline engine cars now. Uh, they've outlawed uh, trucks that aren't electric. They've outlawed, uh, by regulation, they've done this. They stopped one of my favorite things, which was the burning of the Christmas trees uh, on Ocean Beach about two weeks after Christmas, about a week after New, uh, New Year's. We'd all take our Christmas trees down to Ocean Beach and we'd burn them. And you had this beautiful smell of pine and it was great and it was smoky and it was wonderful and we all got to meet our neighbors and it was one of the big social occasions in the city. You know, go drag your, your pine tree down to uh, uh, Ocean Beach and burn it. <laughs> and of course, when they burned, there's nothing left, went into the sand, nobody noticed, right? But uh, they said, you can't do that. It's, it's air pollution. So what are you kidding? It was beautiful. California Resources Board said so, and the uh, state uh, isn't required to uh, vote on that. So they just do stuff. You know, so they're, they're trying to go board. But the states, states should require um, votes on regulations just the way Congress should require votes on, on, on regulations. Otherwise, they, can't, they, they shouldn't take effect. Well, here's what it says. It well, was, you can't give an agency... You can't give an agency the right to make laws. <clears throat> then if that's the case, what do we need you for? Constitution says laws are made in, legis- in, in Congress. Right, exactly. Not in agency. In Congress, cannot give away, Congress cannot give away its authority, assign mm-hmm. its can. authority to someone else. Yeah. 
They can't. If, Look, the if very they first do, sentence, what do we need Congress for? Yeah, exactly. What do we need Congress for? Here's the very first sentence of the Constitution after the preamble. Article 1, Section 1. All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. All legislative powers. Very first word in the Constitution is all. All legislative powers. That means the ability to make laws. So regulations cannot be made unless approved by Congress. And yet, they gave away that power. And uh, see, again, it's, it's a lack of enforcement, and they're just letting them do it. So here's what the article says. In response, some argue that forcing Congress to oh, already read that part. Some, like Florida, are among the most regulated states in the nation. Yeah, no kidding. Well, that whole, that whole bump stock and that, uh, that arm thing, right? The ATF is, is, is implementing gun control without a vote of Congress because they know they never get one, so they just do it anyway. They can't do that. In fact, the ATF is, is an unconstitutional agency because everything they do with uh, guns involves uh, violating the Second Amendment. Everything they do, even the registrations and the records, that all is a violation. You know what John Lott said? I was watching John Lott. You know the, the guy that wrote uh, More Guns, Less Crime? He said that, the, mm-hmm. that, he said that no crime has been solved with gun registration. Not one crime in the country has been solved because of uh, a registered gun. Because the people that use the gun in crimes, they either leave them or dispose of them. Uh, they're not their guns. <laughs> you know, um, they're, they're killed you know, uh, in the process of committing the crime. I said, but they've never, not one. He says he can't point to one case where the registration of a gun led to finding the criminal. Not one. That I found really interesting. Anyway, let me go to the next, the next uh, part of this article. Yeah, you have a comment? Yeah, feel free. Oh, that sounds very interesting, yes. So the justification, yeah, so the justification for registering guns is that it solves crime. Well, apparently it doesn't. It doesn't solve a single crime. But to me, well, that doesn't, doesn't matter. You know what that's yeah. for? It's for control or the potential to control in confiscation because you know where they are. Exactly. Registration, the only purpose of registration is confiscation. That's the only purpose because it's not a crime purpose. John Lott already proved that no crime has been solved through registration because the registered owners don't use their guns in crimes. Because they're not stupid, <laughs> you know. And most people with registered, the vast majority, 99.99% of registered gun owners don't commit crimes. So, you, so what you're doing is you're registering honest people. Well, what's the point in that? Unless you want to seize their guns. And since the, uh, we have 287,000 bureaucrat infantry, which is over 14 divisions of, of, of uh, army soldiers with billions of rounds of ammunition and, and hundreds of thousands of guns, uh, I think the Second Amendment is more important than ever. They've got enough to, to, to fight a war with us right now, if they want. You know, so I need, we need, that's the Second Amendment in reverse, where the government's armed and the people are disarmed. So what I want to do is to second, set the Second Amendment straight, where the people are armed and the government is disarmed. Hear that, FBI KGB? I'm coming for your guns, FBI KGB. Once we get the illegals out. <laughs> so I'm willing to forego that for a little bit. So the article from The Hill that was written this morning says, over the last century, Congress has delegated away increasing amounts of its authority through the passage of vague and sweeping legislation that entrusts vast discretion to regulatory bodies when implementing the laws Congress passes. See, that's when they said that, uh, you know, they can make regulations based on legislation. What's the legislation is broad? Stop crime. Okay, we'll do that. Yeah, we're going to register everybody. (laughs) Not exactly what we had in mind. They don't care. 
The article says, as a result, and contrary to the original intent of the U.S. Constitution, which you and I just went over, powerful lawmaking authority now resides in an alphabet soup of federal agencies like the EPA, the CDC, and the SEC. EPA, CDC, SEC. Our elected representatives, meanwhile, have largely been relegated to these sidelines, engaging in political sideshows like holding hearings or writing letters to agency heads. Yeah, that's what they did yesterday. They held a hearing. Did anything change? No, because they didn't arrest anybody. Nobody was held in contempt of Congress. No budget was cut, and nobody was asked to be fired or demanded to uh, resign. So what was the point of the hearing? I don't know. They didn't do anything. You know, they didn't, uh, you know, if they said, okay, great, we're going to cut the budget of the FBI until you folks tell us the whole story. That's what they could have done. I would have made that motion. They didn't. FBI, all budgets to the FBI are cut. They are cut off from funding until they come clean and tell us what they're doing. We're in regards to January 6th. Republicans could have done that. For Republicans, by themselves, can shut down the government simply by cutting funding to everything. And what are they going to do? As long as they hold firm, they could shut the government down. And it would be the best thing to do right now. So, look, if you guys are going to keep borrowing and you're not going to tell us what happened on January 6th and you're going to uh, uh, go after the whistleblowers and you're going to do all this crazy stuff and you're going to persecute Americans and go after parents and school board meetings, we're going to shut you all down. But they won't do it because they're geldings. That's why they have that name. Back to the article. The House debt ceiling bill contains a provision that would seek to rectify oh, – there's a good word – uh, sounds too much like rectal. <laughs> the problem with it. Uh, rectify this unfortunate situation. The provision in question is called the RAINS Act, the R-E-I-N-S Act, or Regulations from the Executive in Need of Scrutiny. <laughs> Who the hell came up with that? Pianki, what do you think? Regulations from the Executive in Need of Scrutiny? <laughs> how powerful, how brave, how bold, how forceful, how manly of them. Then it says, and it would force Congress to vote on major regulations. Major regulations. I should vote on all regulations. This is major regulations. Those have an annual impact of $100 million more. Now, isn't that interesting, Pianchi? That is exactly the same figure I picked for the 30-day comment period for any budget bill, $100 million. I'm going to keep that figure. It seems to be consistent with the uh, regulations from the Executive in Need of Scrutiny Act. <laughs> Funny. Then it says this would put legislators on the record as for or against a rule forcing them to take responsibility for the lawmaking powers they entrust to federal agencies. See, they're not allowed to entrust federal agencies with rulemaking. They're not allowed to entrust them because only Congress can make legislation, law, rules, regulations, and policies. Only Congress can do that. I just read it. Article 1, Section 1. Pianchi. What do you think of this? The, uh, what are they called here? Hang on. Yeah, right. <laughs> regulations from the executive and That's the continuing complaint. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. That's a continuing complaint. You, and that's the problem. You've got these agencies making these rules, quote, unquote, then they want. You know, it's all about every little peon wants to be powerful by controlling somebody. Anything other than the disguise the, the of which they're operating behind, they wouldn't be irrelevant. Not mm-hmm. relevant at all, should I say. Yep. No, you're right. Well, your grass is more than six. Your grass is uh is beyond six inches. It's six and the eighth inches. We're going to give you a citation. Your uh, barrel is shorter than sixteen inches on a rifle, therefore it's illegal. Whereas if it were sixteen inches, it'd be okay. But fifteen and three quarters is illegal. Isn't that insane? 
None of that's what, nothing insane. the FBI, uh, nothing the ATF does is constitutional. Think about that. Nothing they do is constitutional. All of their, even if their regulations were passed by Congress, it wouldn't matter because they all touch the ability of people to keep and bear the arms that they choose and to carry them where they choose. Everything the FBI, the ATF does is unconstitutional. And Congress can't change that by, by authorizing them to do unconstitutional things. Then they would be unconstitutional. Well, let me put it this way. Try and name one thing the ATF does that is constitutional. Just one. Seeing none. <laughs> you know, let's, look at, let's, look up the, let's look up the departments in the ATF. Remember how we did that with the Justice Department? We went over that yesterday. ATF departments. See what comes up. Organizational structure, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. See, isn't the Internet great? I can find anything I want. Ooh, sign up for updates. I can get updates from the ATF. Oh, that's so special. I don't want to download the, B, the, the I just want to, I don't want to download the PDF. I just want to see it. Then I want to make it bigger. Hang on. We've got some plus signs. Do, 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 do. Ah, here we go. Now I can read it. All right. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms under the U.S. Department of Justice has a director. Then it has a chief of staff and a chief counsel. It has a deputy director. It has an office of public and government affairs. That's their lobbying group. An Office of Professional Responsibility and Security Operations. Well, that's their secrecy group. Uh, Executive Assistant Director has Office of Regulatory Operations. That's where they make up their unconstitutional rules. Office of Field Operations. That's where they prosecute people for uh, following the Constitution. Office of Intelligence Operations. They have their own intelligence agency. That's where they spy on people like me. Office of Science and Technology. That's where they devise weird things. Office of Human Resources and Professional Development. That's where they employ by diversity. And the Office of Management. And that's where they screw things up. Have I got that about right, Pianchi? What do you think? That was pretty close. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. They have an international affair. The International Affairs Division. They actually have international affairs. So they're sleeping with people in, in, gov- in foreign governments. That's interesting. Rapid response teams. Looks like I see what that is. Organizational structure of the rapid oh, rapid response team. Oh, here we go. They've got a national response team. They've got an international response team. Do you know the ATF has an international response team? They have special response teams. They have crisis negotiators. Oh man, I'm having a bad day. They have medics, tactical canine program. Do you know the FBI has their own dogs? Oh, you see the meme on Facebook. <laughs> Someone sent me a meme. It says, we should bring alligators back to the Rio Grande. <laughs> All these alligators in the river is pretty funny, actually. Uh, ATF stories. They've got ATF history. Oh, this is fascinating. Who runs the ATF now? Because that, that was that guy, uh, Chipman. He was horrible. Oh, oh, wait a minute. ATF stories. Black History Month. Employee Reflections. Kelly Young. <laughs> so they have Black History Month at, uh, at the ATF. Okay. Let's see if I can continue this article, and then I might play my interview. Oh, uh, yeah, it's been, all right. So there's nothing really. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll post this article in a bit. James Brahel is a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute and formerly served as senior research fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. Very smart guy. He's absolutely right. That this, this, it is, you know, I'll just put his article in one sentence. It is unconstitutional for Congress to delegate the authority of making regulations to the regulatory agencies themselves because there's no check and balance on them and because all legislation, in other words, all law, has to come from Congress. Hmm. 
What else you got, Pianki? What else is on your mind? Well, that's about it. Okay. See if I can find something. Hey, I uh, see where uh, Colorado Springs elected a American Nigerian as the mayor. He's physical, oh. assertive, nonpartisan. He should do uh-huh. a good job. What's their specialty? So the elected mayor, did you say? Yeah, he's the mayor of the city. Okay. His specialty is he don't belong to no party. <laughs> so he's independent. Okay. So what's so what's big in Nigerian politics? What's the Nigerian tradition of, of freedom and individual rights and things like that? Well, they they can be for no nonsense. The only thing that would curtail it, and I've seen it in other cases. Oh, by the way, uh, there's a Russian town that elected a Zambian as president. Hmm. Uh, so oh, now, wait a minute. I think I'm noticing a pattern here that uh, that African Americans aren't being elected, but African Africans are being elected. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, this, they have a whole different perspective on authority, running government, and so forth. Like they what's say, the, what's, what's the perspective? When it comes down to spending money. Huh? You would so never what? hear them saying asking for reparations. Okay. Um, uh, they wouldn't be talking about cashless bail. Mm-hmm. They would be tough on education. Tough on crime. So are are they are the the Zambian Nigerian folks that are here traditionally running as Republicans, or or no party like you mentioned for the first person? Well, it's kind of hard to say. I know some that say uh, <clears throat> defense attorney out on I think it's in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. We've had a couple. We had one town, well, actually two towns in St. Louis area that was uh, headed by Nigerians. One was Delta City, the other was Berkeley, Missouri. Of course, you have them all throughout professionalism, especially in the medical field, uh, running uh, head departments in medical universities like uh, Washington U. Mm-hmm. Well, given that, so go ahead. No, they work out pretty well. Uh, they they stick by the rules. They, they walk us straight and narrow. They're not all over the place like you see uh, your typical black American politician well, that's, is. That's what, exactly what I'm getting to. So it seems to me that a black American traditional, multi-generational, you know, leftist welfare black American politician – um, substandard public education, substandard public housing, you know, black plantation mentality uh, is going to be Democrat. Whereas I think a, a Zambian, Cameroon, Ghanan, uh, Namibian, uh, who's the other? What's the other country you mentioned? Nigerian and I think Zambian. Yeah, with the two ones. Uh, we have listeners in Nigeria and Zambia, by the way. So uh, it's kind of cool. But they, but it strikes me that the folks well, that see, are coming Zambian here. Is a- Go ahead. Yeah, the Zambia is a mayor over in an African, a Russian city. Oh, believe it or not, I do. Listen, the Argentinians elected Fujimori, who is Japanese Argentinian. So they had a, a Japanese ancestry uh, prime minister or president for a long time. Did a really good job there. I think it was Argentina. Yeah, these people in these other countries, based on their cultural 
and traditional mm-hmm. values, they have a whole different uh, view yeah. than what you see in America. Well, so this is what I'm getting at. So it's, it strikes me that a, a, someone from a Zambian or a Nigerian would be more likely to be Republican. Given the independent streets, they, they have they a conservative. You're absolutely right. Okay. If you look at so, their lifestyle, look at the family structure. The uh-huh. family structure has conservatism all over. Right. Uh, authority, respect from kids, values and achievement in air education, uh, values based on merit. Mm-hmm. So that leads to the question then. Um, do black Americans vote for Nigerian Zambian candidates because they're black? Because the left says that everything is skin color. People think with their skin color, act with their skin color, learn from their skin color, that skin color is the only thing that matters. You know, and so this kind of is going to, is going to be interesting to see um, because I know Dr. Stella Emanuel, who's, who's from Cameroon. I think she got her, her medical degree in Nigeria. She's strong conservative, you know, America's frontline doctor. She's one of the forefront of the people against uh, Dr. Fascist. You know, and so other folks that come here from Africa. She wouldn't gain admission into the University of uh, Berkeley (laughs) school because of color and skin. She's going to be admitted because of her merit. Well, no, she wouldn't be admitted because she's conservative. So here's the question. As more and more black immigrants come here from Africa, this presents a quandary for the Democrat Party because they want, you know, minority inclusion. But what they really want is Democrat minority inclusion. And so you've got conservative. So this, this is going to be an interesting dilemma. I mean, how, how, how do you think the Democrats are going to resolve the fact that they're going to say you can't vote for this black person because they're conservatives. We want you to vote for this black person because they're liberal, even though they destroy your country. <laughs> That's essentially what they're going to have to say in hidden terms. Well, that would have to be studied because it's had, at local, state and local level, especially local. I tell you what, mm-hmm. it was two women with uh, Jackson Brown that would could have been Supreme Court justice. Yeah, but the other lady was actually of Nigerian descent, I believe, and I'm not sure, but I know she wasn't. Native Black America, mm-hmm. and she would have her. She would have stuck to the Constitution. Well, there's two women you mentioned. There's one I think from Georgia. There was a, a there's someone who's already a judge in Georgia. Uh, I think they're at the maybe the appellate or the district or the circuit level. I'm not sure which. Who was the other person? Were they both black women? Yeah, the other lady was was black. They were both black women. Okay. The woman with the uh, Brown and uh, I can't think of the other one's name. But the Democrats are not going to select a conservative black woman. They only want a liberal black woman. No, they're not. So, yes, so even though they talk color, the reality is ideology is still paramount. So, in other words, it really doesn't matter what your well, color is. Even Obama though they say color is everything. Black, yeah, Obama could have appointed a black female. Uh, Justice Janice Brown, but she was, uh, she stood by the Constitution. They didn't like that. Yep. Now, he'll be more likely to appoint uh, Michelle Obama um, or Susan Rice to the Supreme Court, even though uh, I don't know if Michelle Obama has a law degree, but you don't need a law degree to be on the Supreme Court. 
Actually, I want to be on the Supreme Court. I think that'd be the, the best gig in town. Can you see me on the Supreme Court? Oh, would I write a opinion? You could be. I could be. Yeah, that's the thing. I could be. Uh, there's no citizenship. In fact, uh, I think you make the, a good one. Well, thank you. There's no natural-born right, citizenship. Yeah, yeah. There's no natural-born citizenship requirement for the Supreme Court. You don't have to. The only, requir- the only one is president. It's the only office you have to be natural-born citizen for. But I could be on the Supreme Court as a, as a Canadian immigrant, you know, and not being a lawyer. Oh, man, it'd be so much fun because I'd screw up everything for them. I, I issue opinions that, uh, well, Greg, you're not, uh, you're not uh, you know, acting like uh, the club here. I don't give a damn. I didn't come here to be your friend. I didn't come here to be, uh, you know, to, uh, to follow the, the, the party line. I didn't go to law school, so I don't have all your problems or your friends or your connections. So I can actually be honest and, and state the law the way it really is. Judges. <laughs> That'd be fun. Well, we'll see what happens. If the show gets big enough, I'll, I'll start putting the word out that I want to be in the Supreme Court. All right. Um, that's going to be, I'm gonna, we, we should keep watching this. Uh, I'm, I'm particularly fascinated by um, black, African, black, African-American Africans <laughs> you know, uh, and, and where they're going to go and uh, where they're ending up in politics. Um, that'd be fascinating. Do you know about Byron Donald? Do you know his background? Is, does he have... Uh, closer African ancestry or, or, or relatives, or is he multi-generational American? No, he is immigrant. He is. He or his parents are? He is. Where's he from? Nigeria. Byron Donalds? Oh, no, not Donald. The, you mean the guy in... Uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry, not him. I'm kind of, I thought you were still on the Colorado Springs mayor. No, 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 no. I, I mean, Byron Donalds, who's a very active black conservative from Florida, who's going to be, uh, you know, he's a American. rising star. He's American. Okay, so, he's an American right. black. So what – last question on this. Do you, do you, How do you did he see, get his view? He comes yeah. from a strong family. Okay. He comes from a strong, authoritative, uh, creating – uh, functional uh, black family. Yeah, his dad must be someone interesting to talk to. I, I, I bet you that. Like when you walk so, in the house, you take your shoes off. Interesting. Yeah, I do that too here. <laughs> you know, just, just because, but it's easier to clean up. But yeah, yeah, that makes sense. A lot of places do that. All right, let me, uh, I don't think I'll do my Megan Barthes interview. I'll say that. I might play my Walter Williams one again, just for about the national debt so people could get an idea on that. Um, but I found an article um, in just the news. Alarm goes up, and this is something we should talk about too. Alarm grows over whistleblower claims. This is out of the hearing yesterday that FBI scooped up Americans' bank records without subpoena. This is illegal too. This is Brett Tolman, former U.S. Attorney for the District of Utah, argued that obtaining these bank records without due process was unconstitutional. Well, obtaining without due process is unconstitutional on its face. So this is uh, May 18th. So yesterday, uh, the article is by. We don't know. What's that? I guess it's from uh, it's from just the news. So let's say it's, it's probably the uh, uh, one of the reporters. Oh, here we go. Nicholas Balazzi. She she renamed herself Balzi, Nicholas. B A L L A S Y. Take out the A. Call yourself Nicholas Balzi. You'll get further. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says legal experts are criticizing the FBI for allegedly obtaining the financial records of U.S. customers with Bank of America with illegal process. Uh, following the January 6, 2021 Capitol riot. What do you mean riot? The Capitol Hill Invitational Walk-In. 
Article continues. They spoke Thursday, hours after several FBI whistleblowers made the allegations and testimony before the House Judiciary Select Committee uh, of the weaponization of the federal government. This has been yesterday. This is the hearing we were talking about earlier. He says the allegations about, about subpoena less, in other words, without a subpoena, bank records gathering were included in a staff report from the full GOP-led House Judiciary Committee that was released about an hour ahead of Thursday's hearing. So I guess this, I missed that. I was on the show while this was happening. Quote is, just like FBI whistleblowers, retired FBI supervisory intelligence analyst George Hill provided the committee with detailed allegations of FBI civil liberties abuses. Well, they need to go to jail for that. The report states specifically, he testified that the following, uh, that following the events at the Capitol Hill on January 6th, the invitational walk-in, <clears throat> Bank of America uh, gave the FBI's Washington field office a list of individuals who had made transactions in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area with a B of A credit or debit card between January 5th and January 7th. This is blatantly illegal. All, I mean, the B of A, should, their head off, their CEO, and a couple of levels of management should all be in jail for this. You cannot give the FBI everybody's transaction in Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. between January 5th and January 7th. You, you know, buy a cup of coffee with a B of A card and you're on some FBI list? This company needs to be closed down. Pianchi, this is horrifying. Well, Drake, uh, that's going to continue until some major changes are made. Some people have to come forward and be willing to, first of all, spell it out, point it out, and uh, mm-hmm. begin to make changes. It's going to have to be spurred on by the people themselves. Now, now, did they volunteer this information, or did the FBI ask for it? And why did they ask for B of A? I think they, I bet you they volunteered it. I've got all the information, you know. And so they gave information. I would never get a B of A account. Now, isn't B of A one of those companies that denied uh, gun stores and gun manufacturers loans? Same company, right? I'm Pretty not sure? sure. Yeah, I think I think they are. You know where well, they headquartered? Sure. Do you know where they used to be headquartered? You know where they started? No, I don't. San Francisco. Now, mm. the original, I think it was Giovanni, uh, the original uh, owner of Bank of America, uh, it was originally called the Bank of Italy. And what they did, the way they grew really fast was after the 1906 earthquake, the head of the, the Bank of Italy, you know, because uh, he was Italian, and of course he had all the Italians in, in San Francisco, which there were tons. Uh, who do you think the, 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 cra- the, the crab fisher, fishermen were? They were Italians. Um, anyway, and so what he did was after the 1906 earthquake, he made loans that nobody else would make. So no one else believed in San Francisco. No one would make loans. So he made a bunch of loans. He said, tell you what, you know, yeah, you'll pay me back. Made a fortune because he trusted people and they trusted him and he made loans and the city rebuilt and all kinds of really great things happened. And he made a fortune when the loans were paid back. And that's what got the Bank of Italy turned into the Bank of America. That's what became one of our biggest banks. That's when they were good. Now they're just another corrupt, corrupt, you know, woke leftist uh, corporation that deserves to be closed down. So I, this is a good company to boycott. Nobody should have a B of A card. Nobody. If this is what they're going to do with your, your private information, just give it to the FBI. Just because you happen to be in the D.C., Maryland, or Virginia area, January 5th, and, between January 5th and January 7th. What if I was there getting a cup of coffee, visiting a friend in uh, Maryland? What if we're all visiting? Johnson's in Virginia, just outside. What if we were all up in, D- in, in Virginia visiting Johnson? Would we all be on an FBI list? Is he on a list because he lives there? <laughs> I don't know. I'm never going to be a big card. 
Here's one too. It says he also testified that individuals well, well, here's in the Okay, go ahead. That'll start. Here, yeah. Here's the thing. That information is intellectual property, and who it belongs to should be paid. Hmm, I don't think it's intellectual property because intellectual property usually is something that someone's created. Like this show is my intellectual property. Um, Action Radio Citizen Legislature is my intellectual property by copyright and trademark. Uh, it's mine. Uh, and it's because I created it. So this wouldn't be... But, what are you uh, going to do with it? I'm going to make money on it. What are you going to do <laughs> with the information on the individual? Uh, see, that's, but if they do that, that's, see, that's a different thing. See, I don't, think it, I, don't think it's, I don't think your financial information is intellectual property, but I think it is your property. It's your financial property. It's your well, private yeah, it's information. Your property, but, it's, but it's not intellectual property. It's, it's, not a, it's not a creative thing like a book or a, or a song or something like that or an invention. Well, your financial history is intellectual because you have to create it from mind, thought, and action. Yeah, but that's, that's not how it's classified. When, they class, when they're talking about intellectual property, they're talking about you know, written works, uh, computer works, individual creations, books, movies, songs, uh, inventions, things like that. That's intellectual property. What they're talking about here no, is we just have property. to create a sub-definition. We need well, a no, sub-definition. No, no, the definition is already there. It's just that I think I think you're just I just you think you're using a different definition. Uh, I and I don't think it's defined under intellectual property. It's defined under financial property, which is every bit as private, and every bit as personal. Financial data. You know, if if a private company if they just publish this information out there instead of giving it to uh, um, the FBI, that'd be called a, a data breach, a data hack. Right. That's what I think. Let me well, finish the article here. Yeah, yeah, but they, uh-huh. yeah I see what you're saying. But uh, <clears throat> if someone takes your information about you and uses it, I think that you should be compensated for that. No, it should be illegal for them to take it. It's just like your name. Yeah, it's just like your name. If your name show up in a movie. Mm-hmm. And then you should be compensated for that. Your song, <laughs> of course, you said song creation. Your picture. Yeah, that's my intellectual property. Hey, by the way, um, I should give you an update. You know the movie we're involved with, The Falcon? Uh, I talked to Mario Prado, who's the producer of it. Uh, that's going to be starting up again. So we actually, I, my name is going to be in a movie uh, in some capacity because I'm working. Mm-hmm. I'm helping them with a lot of the creative stuff. I thought we were going to get a team together with Action Radio, but apparently I can do it. <laughs> it freaks the hell out of me. Um, but, um, you know, a lot of, I'm giving them a lot of ideas and things, so I'm going I'm to be a fairly big part of this movie, which means we're all going to be part, and I'm hoping they'll fly us all out for the premiere uh, to California when it, uh, when it shows. Wouldn't that be great? I've never been to a movie premiere. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah, bring my friends, too. Can my friends come? <laughs> That'd be fun. Be good to meet everybody. Good to meet you. That'd be fun. We're going to meet somehow anyway. We've got to figure this out. Anyway, um, let's get back to this, this, uh, this last little bit here. And then I think I'll play my, my, uh, my famous Walter Williams. Uh, one of my, my, is my first big interview, and we really talked economics and national debt. That's why this would be appropriate at this particular time. Uh, let me see. Uh, just like it, it allegations about subpoena. Okay, we read that. Here's the quote. Just like FBI whistleblowers, retired FBI supervisor, I read that too. Specifically testified to, okay, there we go. He also testified that individuals who had previously purchased a firearm, exactly what we were just talking about, right? Had previously purchased a firearm with a B of A card 
uh, product were elevated to the top of the list provided by the BOP. So they do. They're taking gun owners, too. He says, the gathering of the transactions appears to have been a way for federal investigators to learn the identity of their suppliers. I would say um, participants. Bank of America was not available for comment. <laughs> no surprise there. Before the story was published. They're not going to be available afterwards either. <laughs> Brett Pullman, former U.S. attorney for the District of Utah from July 2006 to December 2009, argues that obtaining bank records without due process was unconstitutional. Yeah, they didn't have a search warrant, so there's no reason to – they had no probable cause. These are, these are illegal searches. He says the same thing. It's illegal. It doesn't strike me uh, as odd, and the reason it doesn't is I represent a couple of defendants, January 6th defendants, and I began to be very concerned. He suggested the FBI use the data to turn that one of his clients was in Washington, D.C. at the time, though never charged. It would have been – I'm good thing I didn't go. <laughs> yeah, I would, I'm glad I wasn't there in the Capitol because I might have walked in, and I, I could be in jail right now. So I'm kind of glad I didn't go. It says it would have been very difficult to determine that he was there in Washington, D.C. without some illegal measure by the FBI. He said they don't believe it's illegal. See, that's it. They don't believe it's illegal. They think uh, cell phone pings – or B of A uh, credit cards or debit cards or fo- what do they call it, facial recognition technology uh, appearing on a video. They don't believe any, any of their surveillance is illegal, and it is. That's the problem. And this is Alan Dershowitz, law professor emeritus at Harvard University, who I'm trying to get on the show, by the way. I want to, I want to challenge him on judicial review. He hasn't answered my email. <laughs> who knows if he even got it. Right? Alan Dershowitz, law professor, uh, agreed that the whistleblower's allegations are concerning. He says that there's a great danger to freedom. Uh, he says just the news, uh, not uh, there we go yeah, on the just the news, not noise TV program. Yeah, there is a danger to freedom. How more of this do we have? Just a little bit. He says banks. This is Alan Dershowitz. Banks should not be turning records, private records, over. The next thing, bankers will be turning over private records and priests and rabbis. You can't just start violating people's privacy without a court order. It's so easy today to get a subpoena uh, and a court order. Yeah, you can indict a ham sandwich, as they say. He also said the courts don't really look behind a government request. Well, that's a problem right there, too. He says, but go out without even a court order and just nearly get records and the bank being complicit uh, in that. He says, I have to tell you, uh, I take the money out right away and put it in a bank that promises me it wouldn't turn over my records without a court order. This is former California Representative Devin Nunez, great hero, said he isn't surprised by the allegations. He argued that uh, Brandon Insurrection, my words, hasn't learned anything since the Russia probe uh, found no collusion between Trump, uh, the Trump campaign and Russia. He says, not only have they learned, not learned anything, they have put what they're doing on steroids. Uh, he says, they're, stop, they're, stepping on the, they're stepping on the gas. They're not stopping uh, with the weaponization of the FBI and the Department of Justice uh, and every other government agency they can get their hands on. And that's absolutely true. These people are nuts. <coughs> they are crazy. Crazy, power-hungry, insane people. I mean, they really are. Hmm. Yes. Well, today is Friday. I guess I, you know, okay. got a half hour left of past programs to play. Well, I do, but I've got another article I just found. Of it. You know, uh, the G7. It's G7. We haven't talked about the G7. Got a couple more minutes, or do you have to go? Well, I need I can to do get it going. But, uh, okay, I can, I can do it myself. Yeah. It's not a problem. Yeah. The interview is only about 20 minutes yeah, long, so I might just finish this. Yeah, the beginning of Memorial Day uh, celebration next week. And it should be, hopefully, hopefully it'll be a good one, but I doubt it. 
Well, Memorial Day is a week Monday. It's not this Monday. So is that what you're talking about? Yeah. This Monday is not, this Monday is not Memorial Day. This Monday is – turn my page here. Victoria Day in Canada is this Monday, the 22nd. Well, that'd Memorial be, Day That would be a good subject. Victoria Day? Yeah, I can look it up. I'll, I'll circle that in red. We're going to talk about that Monday. Victoria Day. I think that's Canadian Independence Day, but we'll find out. Or maybe it's Queen Victoria's birthday. I'll figure that out, too. All right, let me do one more article, play my Walter Williams piece, and I will see you Monday, uh, Monday morning, sir. Thank you. It's been a good week. Thank you, Vera. Be careful. I will, but I'll also be bold. <laughs> you know, the choice can be bold rather than be careful, but I appreciate the sentiment. The Evening Standard, uh, which I think is a British paper, said, where is the G7 summit 2023 taking place? Who is attending? And what are the key issues? Japanese Prime Minister Fu, Fumio, Fumio Kishida expressed his goal for a world without nuclear weapons. Wasn't that special? Considering Russia is threatening to use them because the U.S. started a war with, uh, between Ukraine and Russia. He says two nations that weren't even invited to Hiroshima or Hiroshima, depending on how you pronounce it, China and Russia, will cast the biggest shadows at the Group of Seven G7 Leader Summit at the weekend. He says the leaders started to arrive on Thursday in preparation for a visit to the city's Peace Memorial Museum on Saturday, May 20th. The museum has exhibits that illustrate the scope and tragedy. Japanese Prime Minister Kishida expressed his goal for a world without nuclear weapons. I read that. This is boring, 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 boring. What a G7 summit. The G7 is an organization of the world's seven largest so-called advanced economies, which dominate global trade and the international financial system. The list includes Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom, and the United States. The largest partner being, of course, the United States, probably up until recently with our national debt. He says Russia joined the group in 1998, but was excluded in 2014 for its takeover of Crimea. Well, that's interesting. How come we didn't get excluded for uh, our wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, and uh, uh, Ukraine? Hmm. Because we're the biggest power on the block. That's why. Anyway, he says, ever since the, the 1970s, the leaders of these countries have gathered to discuss the most pressing global issues, with this year marking the 47th meeting of the G7. So, so if you have a World Economic Forum, why do you need a G7? Why, why do you need a G20? What does G stand for? Global? I don't know. Greed? <laughs> the Greed 7. That's what we're going to call it, the Greed 7. He says, at the end of the summit, a statement of interest of intent is issued outlining what's been agreed. Of course, they have no power. <laughs> uh, this is where, you know, it says, uh, the, the next heading, actually two down, does the G7 have any power? He says, the G7 can't pass any laws because it's made up of separate nations with their own democratic processes, or in our case, a republic. However, some of its past decisions have had global effects. Well, let's take a look. For example, G7, the Greed 7, played a crucial role in setting up the Global Fund to Fight Malaria and AIDS in 2002 and ahead of the 2021 G7 summit uh, in the UK. Well, of course, they fought AIDS with uh, AZT, which we know killed a lot of people, as opposed to Bactrim, uh, which was like the hydroxychloroquine of its time that would have saved a lot of people. Anyway, the G7 finance ministers agreed to make multinational companies pay more tax. Oh, isn't that special? <clears throat> so who's attending? Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, United Kingdom. Well, there's a British name. Chancellor Olaf Scholz, Germany. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Canada, part of the fascist group. President Emmanuel Macron, him too. Remember the, um, they call it the, the, the Young Leadership Program? That's what they have. They call it the Young Leadership Program. Um, and, oh, let me see, Marco, I think it's time for me to go. Have a great weekend. Yeah, let me check in there as well. Bye, Marco. That's a little bye. Let's have Marco on the show too. Marco listens from the Netherlands. 
while we're on the air and types of messages. All right, back to the G7. Who's attending? Uh, yeah, so there was a thing called the, the, the World Economic Forum Young Leaders Program, or as I call it, Communist Boot Camp. So Emmanuel Macron of France is there. Giorgi Meloni of Italy is there. She's wonderful. She's conservative. Prime Minister Fumio Kishida of Japan. Huh. Joe Biden from the United States, the insurrectionist in chief. Ursula von der Leyen, president of the European Commission. It's not even a country. <laughs> Charles Michael, president of the European Council. That's not a country either. So two, wait a minute. So one, two, three, four. So they have nine members of who's attending and two of them aren't even countries. Hmm. Invited countries include Australia, Brazil, Comoros. Who's that? Cook Islands, India, Indonesia, Korea, Vietnam. Hmm. Vietnam's communist. I guess they mean South Korea. What are the key issues? During the summit in Hiroshima, uh, close proximity to North Korea, leaders will be discussing health of the global economy, price increase, and the U.S. debt limit crisis. Yeah, the only crisis is not only the debt. <laughs> All right. This is boring. I've had enough of this. Let me, uh, I guess more will probably be taking up next week. I've got many more things to discuss. Let me go to my, um, one of my favorite interviews, and this is Walter Williams. And it was my first interview. It was way back in March of 2017. Uh, he's, he's since passed on. So we don't have Walter with us anymore, which is too bad. Um, and so let me just find my Walter Williams. Here we go. Uh, it's 24 minutes, so it's going to be, yeah, we'll just run over by a couple of minutes. It's a great interview, and we really talk about the, the perils of the national debt, the economic suicide, and a bunch of things that are happening now. Uh, and the, the, I believe the national debt is part of the, uh, um, is the sedition conspiracy. The sedition conspiracy to destroy this nation economically, destroy it by uh, taking out the carbon dioxide from the air so the plants won't breathe, so that will starve us you know, uh, impacting our bodies with uh, COVID vaccines that are another deadly thing, putting them in the food supply and everything else. So these people are trying to kill us. And it's our, it's our uh, duty to live, survive, and to lock them all up so they can't do it anymore, take their power away. But if we can, if we can get a constitutional amendment, and this is serious, constitutional amendment, taking away the power to, of Congress to borrow money, uh, almost all our economic problems go away, except for occasional business cycles up and down. But a little supply and demand. But you take away the power of Congress to borrow money, and, and almost everything uh, that causes us grief with the economy goes away. All right, let me play this interview, and I'll play a couple of things when we come back, and away we go. Yeah, baby. Time for the Action Radio Hour. It's 8.06 in the morning. I don't get the music down, and I want to get to our guest right away, so let's introduce him now. Got my music? He doesn't have my music? Ah, thank you very much. He received a Ph.D. in economics from UCLA. He is an economics professor and former department head of George Mason University. He has authored over 150 publications, done tons of radio and television appearances, including mine, with more awards than I have time to mention. Let's have a round of applause for Dr. Walter Williams. Dr. Williams, thank you so much for coming on my show. Good morning, and thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's, it's, believe me, it's my pleasure to have you on. I have, um, I'm feeling you here, and I have questions I've wanted to ask you for years, so I want to get right to them. First of all, we're in a budget battle that's already started, and we have the national uh, debt ceiling, national debt and the debt ceiling being raised as issues are coming up. But we've got this $20 trillion debt hanging over our heads. What does that mean for the economy, and, and how does that affect individual Americans? Well, first, I, I think uh, uh, there's no hope of our ever paying off the national debt. Uh, that is, most countries that have a national debt 
uh, what they do is just simply repudiate it uh, through uh, inflation. That is just destroyed through inflation. But uh, what the national debt also means is that it's going to, when when we see interest rates uh, uh, rise, it's going to be a huge part of the federal budget. And so, uh, okay. it, 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 you know, it, it's it's not good uh, what we're doing as a nation. But, however, uh, the national debt grows because the uh, the American people want Congress to do those kind of things that make it grow. That is, to they want Congress to spend money. Interesting. Um, has anybody done any forecast as to how much national debt our economy can actually support? Um. I don't know. Right now, the national debt is about 100, uh, 103% of uh, – uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, the, na- the national debt is very, very large relative to the GDP, but, okay. but we're, uh, we're better off than many other countries. And, and there's no particular, uh, um, no, no particular estimate that I know of uh, where, you know, where it rings the bells for disaster. And here's the, the reason I'm asking that question is because I think the more important question is if we don't know – how much national debt our country can support, then how can Congress, in any good conscience at all, raise the, the debt ceiling? Well, the, well look, the, these people are politicians. Yeah. Uh, that, is, that is, look, you have to recognize that a congressman's, uh, let's say a, a, a member of the House of Representatives, his time horizon is two years. Okay. Uh, a senator may be four or six years. Now, those people are not concerned about what happens to our country in 2030, yeah. because uh, you know they, they they might be dead by 2030. And if they do the kind of things now that protect our country in 2030, the American people will run them out of office. Which brings up my next question, and that is, uh, I told you about this ahead of time, uh, Calvin Coolidge being one of my favorite presidents, I looked up some numbers, and I got this from a Heritage Foundation article. Uh, Calvin Coolidge inherited in World War, after World War I and the Woodrow Wilson mess um, just this horrible economy. But what he did was he cut spending 43% from 1921 to 1924. He dropped the highest tax bracket from 73% to 29%, and that went from 1921 to 1929, and reduced the national debt from $24 billion to $16.9 billion. So I translate... And right after that, we had the Roaring Twenties. Exactly, we had the Roaring Twenties. So what I'm getting to is if that was repeated today, and I've run the numbers here, if Trump repeated that today, we'd have a current budget that would go from 4.3 trillion down to only 2.4 trillion. The top tax rate would go from 39.6 down to 15.7, and the national debt would be reduced from 20 trillion to about 14 trillion. What would that mean for our economy if we could repeat what Calvin Coolidge did to create oh, the Roaring Twenties? It would just be fantastic. It'd yeah. be great for our economy, but uh, uh, but uh, President Trump just cannot do that. Look, look, yeah. the. The major components of the, of federal spending of the of the uh, federal budget are Social Security, okay. Medicare, and Medicaid. Now, touching those things is political suicide. And and any president uh, uh, who's not going to do something about Social Security and Medi- and Medicare uh, is, is not really serious about uh, uh, reining in the uh, the federal spending. Have you seen anything from the Trump administration that would lead you to think they're going to do something with these entitlements? Well, um, 
uh, I don't see any indications. That is, that is uh, a person that gets into office and stays in office. He has to be a smart politician, right. and he can't listen to what I what Walter Williams will tell him because that's <laughs> political suicide. I'm listening, <laughs> but <laughs> and, you're not a politician. <laughs> well, actually, um, what I'm trying to do, uh, and I want to tell you about this speaker. I'm trying to take talk radio and make it action radio, and what that means is my audience becomes a citizen legislature. I'm going to be working with my local congressman. We're going to be writing bills. On a, on a website, we're going to be filing them, and so the whole idea is to change the relationship from the citizen to the government uh, in a way that's never been done before by using radio, by using the internet, by having um, a direct you know participation in writing legislation. Because my guiding principle is that the people give their consent to be governed through writing the laws by which they are governed, and that's what I'm trying to bring in. So this is why I'm asking these questions: as what can we do as citizens? Is there any effect that an average person can have other than you know, calling a politician to to you know affect economic policy. Well, well, look, look. Uh, you, you live in the state of Florida, yes, sir. And there are many retirees in the state of Florida. Okay. And and you tell me what politician is going to say uh, is going to do anything about Social Security? Yeah. He'll have the citizens, uh, 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 you know, uh, drawing and quartering him. Hmm. If you, I mean, if you do anything to Social Security, and and a lot of people, unfortunately, a lot of people believe that their Social Security check uh, represents money that they put into it. That is not true. That is the only way a Social Security recipient can get one dime is for the government to take money away from a worker who is a you know, person who is already in the workforce. Yeah. There's there's no trust fund. There's, and I mean, it's a so-called pay-as-you-go system. And so, but I'm saying that any politician, and Social Security is going to go down the tubes. That, yeah. that is, uh, by 2035 or 2040, it's just going to be unsustainable. But any politician doing anything that will cope with the problem of Social Security in 2030, 2040, he, he, it, it's political suicide. Interesting. Have you seen... I mean, so, so we, yeah. one of the things we have to recognize, okay. I think, is that that politicians are doing precisely what gets them elected office yeah. and 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 upholding the United States Constitution, as our founders wrote it, uh, is political suicide. You know, it's funny you should mention that because my next question is, has anybody done some work, and I'd love to work with someone in your department on this, uh, in publishing what I call a constitutional budget? In other words, if we took just the items in Article 1, Section 8, things like uh, maintaining the military, the interstate highway system, the various offices, the courts, and things like that, and we, pu and we put specific budget amounts as if that were the budget, you know, how much would that actually cost? Has anyone... It wouldn't come to a trillion dollars. Okay, so we're talking less than a trillion dollars. That, that, see, okay. see, most of the federal spending can be characterized in the following way. Okay. That is, most federal spending is where Congress takes the property of one American okay. and gives it to another American to whom it does not belong. You, I don't care whether you're talking about uh, farm subsidies, business bailouts, food stamps, Medicare, Medic, Social Security, et cetera, et cetera. It represents you know, another way of doing it, another way of expressing it. It's legalized theft. Right. That is, that is 
uh, Congress taking from one American and giving it to another, and that's not in the Constitution. Yeah. I still would like to do that, and so I'm hoping I can write you off, off the air and see if I can get someone to, to actually put dollar amounts to each of the items in Article 1, Section 8, because I want to write an article on this. I want to publish it, and I think if, if – and I can present that to my congressman and say, look, this is what a constitutional budget looks like. This is what you guys are doing, and I think if people are aware of that and how far we've gone from the Constitution – it, it, you know, at least it's an educational thing. It might make a bit of a difference. Well, I, I would hope so. I mean, and I would hope so because the future of our country depends on it, yeah. and and the future of liberty uh, um, uh, depends on it. And and we Americans have an awesome responsibility. That yeah. is, if liberty dies in the United States, it's dead for all times, for all people, all for uh, for all over the world. And so we Americans have an awesome responsibility yep. to make sure that liberty persists in the United States. And what we're doing now is the exact opposite of that. Yeah, and that's why I'm trying my bit. I mean, I've got a vision for, for Action Radio, and I'm getting a lot of help here and a lot of support. And I have this job to be able to do it. So, But that's part of it, is to have much more of a direct representation. But here's, um, here's a yeah, question for you. Yes, sir. But here's a question for you, the ponder. That is, we have to ask the question, are the American people, as human beings, are we any different from the Romans, from the Portuguese, the French, the British? These are great empires of the past. Right. They went down the tubes for precisely what we're doing, yeah. bread and circuses. Now, what is it about American people as human beings that make us any different from them? That's a great question. Uh, all I can think of is we have more uh, history, we have the Internet, we have more information at our disposal, we have more instant communication. A regular person like me that was a tour guide in San Francisco three months ago is now on radio. I can talk to you directly, whereas people in, like, Roman times, I don't think they could talk directly to their senators, you know, and the government officials. They, they were, and for most people, you know, people in power are way beyond us regular folks out here. So but I think with education, with the instant communication we have, and with, with considering things that have never been considered before, like regular people writing legislation, maybe that'll make a difference. Well, I, I hope you're right. I'm going to try. <laughs> Indeed, I hope you're yeah. right, because the future of America depends on, on, on our doing something yeah. different from what we're doing. Can I ask you a couple more questions? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, one thing I was wondering is the unemployment figures. Whenever they're given, we get the U3 rate, which is like 4.9%. We get U6, which is a little bit higher. But I found a website called Shadow Stats by um, John Miller, I think. And what he's reporting is that the actual unemployment rate is 22.7% because they include long-term discouraged workers who aren't counted in the U3 and U6 rates. Is that accurate? And would that better describe why our economy is so sluggish if actually 22% of people are unemployed? That, that sounds a bit high, but, not, but uh, you know, I, I would put it somewhere around 15%. That's okay. the number I'm hearing, okay. uh, if you include the so-called discouraged worker. Right. And one of the reasons why we have these, I think it's about 92 million people okay. uh, who are capable of working, not working, 
the reason why we have such a number is because of the welfare state. Okay. That is, these people can afford to say, well, I'm not going to take that job at McDonald's for $7.25 an hour and $8 an hour because I can get unemployment compensation, I can get food stamps, I can get many other things. Hmm. And if you look at historically, the duration of unemployment uh, since 1948, I believe, has tripled. Okay. And 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 uh, now, if if not taking a job at eight dollars or nine dollars an hour, if that meant starvation, people would not do it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean starvation. Well, we used to have a workfare program where you had to work something. You know, if you were an able-bodied person, you couldn't just stay on welfare. That's right. And then there's another question that one might ask is that we've okay. been a nation since uh, 1792 or 1787, whatever number you, we want to, uh, whatever year you want to put it. Okay. But, but we, we became the greatest nation on the face of the earth without all these programs that people today say are absolutely necessary. So they're that not. Is, we, we, didn't have a, we didn't have any welfare until the, you know, until the Roosevelt administration. Right. Uh, we did not have an unemployment compensation, I believe, not until the 1940s. Yeah. And, it, and, and we didn't have all these programs that people say is absolutely necessary uh, be, uh, you know, before uh, the, the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. Another thing we didn't have that I reported on in the previous hour was the withholding tax that came in in 1940. 43, right in the middle of World War II. Yeah, and right. it's, it's, what, 62 years later or something? The and, article and, you know, like, it, yeah, go ahead. and very interestingly, it was called a victory tax. Oh, interesting. And, oh. and, and it, was called the, it was called the victory tax because the government was saying, if we can get money to the government uh, more quickly, we, that will help us win the war. Yeah. Well, now, and so, so as Milton, as my colleague and, and mentor, Milton Friedman, used right. to say, there's nothing more permanent than a temporary federal program. Or a tax, temporary tax. We have an issue here. We're <laughs> voting on another temporary tax for 10 years. Um, oh, yeah, well, yeah, right. As a matter of fact, they just repealed, I think 10 years ago, mm -hmm. the tax on telephones that was supposed to finance the Spanish-American War. <laughs> wow. What would happen if we actually could get rid of it? This is one of my legislative agenda items. If we didn't have a withholding tax and Americans had to physically, I mean, they couldn't just have an automatic deduction, but if they had to physically, every time uh, tax was due, whether it was weekly, monthly, quarterly, or by the year, what do you think that would have uh, an effect on the economy and the rate of taxation? I think it would have a very important effect because the average American has no idea how much taxes he's paying. Right. The withholding tax makes it makes uh, uh, paying taxes to the federal government and the state government it makes it less painful than it otherwise would be. Now, if I had it my way, I would require before changing anything about taxes that people pay their taxes, <laughs> go to the post office, pay their taxes, and count it out in $5 bills and have the whole family present with them. Oh, wow. Well, tax collectors in the old days, when we're talking about older civilizations, they would come to your house. They would take things. They would take your livestock. They would take your, your money. They would take whatever. And people knew exactly what they were paying because it was going right out the door. Yeah. And, and you know, and keep in mind, since uh, between 1780, I mean, 1787 mm -hmm. and 1913, we did not have an income tax except for a short period during the during the uh, the Civil War yeah. that was ruled unconstitutional, and and we were able to run our government on sales tax and ice and excise. I mean, uh, uh, tariffs and excise taxes. Now, but however, 
government was very small. That is, between 1787 and 1920, except during war, mm -hmm. the federal government was only 3% of the GDP. And what's it now? To, today, the federal government is around 25, between 25 and 30% of the GDP. Wow. And so you need an oppressive system like the Internal Revenue Code to get that amount of money from the American people. Hmm. You mentioned uh, Social Security is one of the, the big exploding time bombs coming up. Um, have you, I'm sure you have, but uh, studied the Chilean retirement system, and would a privatized system like that work here? Uh, would, would you repeat, repeat the question? The, the Chilean system where I think they have a mandatory 10% oh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. withholding, but it's a private account. It goes to you. It doesn't go to the government to pay other people. Could that work here? How could that work here? And would that solve our Social Security I think that would problem? be an improvement over the status quo. Okay. If I had it my way, what I would do okay. is that I would tell every American uh, who is eight, over age 45, mm -hmm. look, we will live up to our commitments and pay you your Social Security benefits out of general revenues. Okay. For all people under 25, I would tell them, forget whatever money you put in uh, under 45. Okay. Forget whatever money you put into Social Security. Go out and get your own retirement system. And so then the reason why 45, uh, I choose 45, is that between 45 and 65, mm -hmm. and if you put your money in a private retirement system, you would break even with what you would get in Social Security. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I but see, but the, one yeah. thing, we can't, we can't abandon people right. who have made their plans based on what the government told them, the big lie about Social Security. So we have to find some way to take care of those people. But, but let's say we can, what we can do, we can just prevent the system from getting worse. Interesting. Um, I want to throw something open to you now because I'm, I'm, I've been asking a lot of questions, but what is going on in economic theory now? What new developments do you have? You know, are the models working? Is there something new to take a look at the economy to explain it better? What do you guys do at, at, at George Mason? Well, we teach real economics. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I think that the one, one of the things that's happening to our profession, which I think is disastrous, is that it, it's becoming too mathematical. Uh, and now, as I tell, I teach my PhD. The, the uh, my uh, in fall, I teach the first year PhD students uh, uh, their economic theory, mm -hmm. and I tell them that economics is not math, and math is not economics, but math is a very, very valuable tool in economics. Okay. But too many people, uh, uh, you, you, uh, distinguished places like University and MIT, uh, they, 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 uh, they, you know, they, they teach math instead of really economics. And here we teach uh, economics, so my colleagues are top people in, um, in public choice analysis and or the uh, Austrian uh, theory, Austrian theories of uh, in Can you economics. explain that Austrian theory real quickly? Because I want to get one of those folks on with me, too. Well, yeah. Well, the, the Austrian, it, well, it has to do with the, the, uh, the, the uh, economics of Friedrich Hayek okay. and, uh, and many others who are from the Austrian school of uh, economics. But, however, as Milton Friedman used to say, <laughs> he used to say there's only two kinds of economists, uh, good economists and bad economists. <laughs>
And if you make the wrong forecast, yeah. Yeah, Um, as opposed to people saying Keynesian economists, Austrian economists, free market economists. He just says it's good economists and bad economists. Okay. I've got uh, one of my wilder ideas is to have what I call brainstorm day, where I get uh, maybe you and Newt Gingrich and and maybe Herman Cain and maybe Mike Huckabee and a few other folks, Ann Coulter, together, and we brainstorm questions that that no one else is asking. And one of the questions I've been trying to uh, wrestle with is regulatory agencies as a model, I think, is a terrible way to govern. I think there has to be a new way to, to enforce the laws that uh, the legislature passes and the executive signs, but regulatory agencies become these little kingdoms. They grow, they take on more responsibility, they think their regulations are, are law, and they, there's like bypassing uh, the legislative process. Is there another way to get our laws enforced that is not a regulatory agency? Is there a new model that we could come up with um, to handle that responsibility? Has anybody? Well, I, I, yeah. I think we just have to go back and look at our history. Okay. That is, we say, well, what in the world did what what in the world did we do before we had all these regulatory agencies? Okay. And then uh, uh, the, another uh, big problem is that. Uh, Congress has become uh, derelict in its responsibilities. That is, it's given much of their responsibilities to regulatory agencies. Interesting. And, and the regulatory agencies, as you said, they become uh, uh, little fiefdoms and where people uh, have uh, all kinds of legislative power that's not, uh, uh, that, that's, that they're not supposed to have. That is, Congress has delegated much of its responsibilities to these regulatory agencies. And matter of fact, uh, congressmen, uh, they don't understand much of what they pass. Yeah, because they, they pass it and then they read it. <laughs> So you probably be in favor then of a bill to have bills be one subject, and I think Thomas Jefferson wanted you know bills to stay on the table for a year before they were voted on to give everybody input on them. Um, And and, and Trump has an interesting idea for each new regulation to have to get rid of three or two, whatever he said. Yeah, I'm never I'm not a great fan of formulas. The same way I'm not a big fan of of term limits because you know you might get three corrupt people in the space of one corrupt person, and I would like to see entire you know areas of regulation be done away with, you know, especially when they talk about the whole global warming hoax and, and you know, carbon dioxide being a, a pollutant when it's really a plant fertilizer. So there's a question. Has anybody accounted for the cost of this whole global warming thing? How much is that taken out of our, of right. our productivity? Well, there are people that have uh, the Heartland Institute. Uh, okay. Uh, they've, uh, they've done it. And then, actually, for, uh, for, for, the, for you and, and many of the listeners, you can go to my website. It's WalterEWilliams.com, and I give a uh, uh, their book recommendations and their recommended websites and their their my publications and my okay. videos and other things that are available on their website. Hmm. I, I have more questions for you, but I know you wanted to go at some point. Yes, we have. But I'm just I'm, well. I see. I got you now. So I'm having so much yeah. fun. But I hope I can get you back uh, sometime soon. Um, oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. Do, do you have any any closing comments or advice for me with for Action Radio? Uh, no. I, I, one of the topics of my last column, I pointed out that. True liberty is, uh, uh, is not for wimps. You have to be a brave person to be for liberty. Liberty not for wimps. I'm going to read that column. I'm going to present it to my audience here. And I want to thank you, Dr. Williams, so much for coming on my show. And the and extra time you. that you gave, I really appreciate that. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. All right, you have a wonderful day, sir. All right, and that was... Dr. Walter Williams of George Mason University, and that is, I think, the most incredible uh, conversation I've ever had with anybody, certainly in my, my short three, three weeks here. If this is the kind of guest you want, if you want this kind of information, uh, if this is something that um, 
is 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 appealing to you, let me know, please, because I'm going to try and get the very best that I can for you. Uh, we're going to take a break now. Uh, the phone number is 623-1330, 623-1330. I spent so much time, you know, preparing my questions for Dr. Williams. I, I still didn't get to them all, but uh, I have more things. If you want to talk, now's your chance, because I really don't have a whole lot else to do, because I really want to make sure that I maximized uh, my time with Dr. Williams. He was just fabulous. So let's take a break. It's 1330 WEBY, 8.30 in the morning, and I'll be back. Action Radio. Dangerously cool. Yeah, that's still one of my favorite interviews. Um, I don't know if uh, I don't know if uh, Warren can still hear me, but uh, New Orleans wake up. He's requested to come on the show next week and send the live chat. So let me see what I can do. First priority is to get uh, Charles Marin on uh, from Strong Towns for the big meetings coming up in Milton next week. But uh, Warren, I've got an hour for you if you want to talk about. Uh, he wants to talk about ruling class white elites have always used the benefits of whiteness as a way to have masses working, a masses of working class whites advocate for the wealthy elite. He says, the concept, concept is one day you can be a millionaire too. Um, I, I intend on it. <laughs> Whiteness has been used as a way to keep working class whites from identifying with Native American, black, and brown people who have been discriminated against for not being white. Oh, really? So if my, if my whiteness is so good, then I, I, I should be a millionaire already, one would think. After all, if I've got all that privilege, you know, one would think that I'd never be turned down for a job. Uh, in fact, I'd uh, pretty much get everything I asked for. Well, surprise, surprise, that wasn't the case. <laughs> that, that's uh, that's kind of how it goes. All right. I'll take that up later with uh, with Warren next week. We can we can talk about race and class and uh, you know how uh, uh, us white folks don't uh, get handed everything. Uh, some people do. Uh, some black folks do too. You know, if you're Michael Jordan's kid, <laughs> you're probably going to do pretty well. Uh, but that's okay. That's how it works. All right. So that interview, one of my favorites from Walter Williams. It was from if I said three weeks, that would have been around March 21st of 2017. So that was my first big interview. And you can tell I was new because I wasn't laughing at his jokes, which is really too bad. Uh, I'll do better next time, but uh, with other guests. But unfortunately, Walter has left us. He's not with, uh, uh, with the living anymore. And it's really too bad because he was fabulous. And when I listened to his voice, he kind of sounds like Pianchi. It's kind of interesting. Uh, so I, I, you know, it would have been great to have those two talk to each other. But uh, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to, to do that. So he died a few years ago. And I'm just glad I caught him when I did. In fact, uh, a few people. Uh, that I've had on the show have already passed on. Uh, Dr. Peter Pry, who was on for years, um, died, I think, of a COVID shot. Uh, my webmaster, Eric Colley, uh, who created RightHereLoss.com, uh, I think uh, pretty well assured he was killed by his hospital. Um, different, different folks along the way. A friend of mine, the flight instructor, a friend of mine, died of a morphine overdose uh, in the hospital. They gave him four times the, uh, the, the prescribed amount, and they killed him in the hospital. And so killing in the hospital is not, apparently not that unusual. That's why I'm glad I got through with my open heart surgery and I'm fine, <laughs> you know, and losing weight and doing better. But uh, we'll see how that goes. All right. It's been a busy week. A lot of fun stuff has happened, but I will be back next uh, mon- on Monday at 7 a.m. Central Time. And I'll see if I can work Warren into uh, one of our conversation hours here. But um, failing that, the main object is to get Charles Marin on because we have a couple of big meetings in Milton Thursday. And what we talk about with local stuff, it's not just for Milton. It really applies to towns across the country, possibly across the world, depending on how you, uh, how you treat your, your fellow citizens uh, in terms of whether you have expressways through your town or whether you have uh, small local streets with a lot of foot traffic. That's the key, foot traffic. Residential street level uh, thing, or not residential, but uh, uh, retail 
outlets at street level, restaurants, shops, things like that, retail outlets at street level, uh, and walkable. That's the key to any uh, strong town. Back at 7 a.m. Central Time, Monday morning, and we'll talk then. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.